is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Uh, (laughs) What's up, everybody? Welcome to, I guess it's Wednesday. Feels like Tuesday, but it's Wednesday because of that beauty long weekend we just came out of. Uh, Another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. What's up? Bombers heading to Edmonton. Looking to extend the record home futility streak of the Elks tomorrow night. Um, it's going to be basically the same suspects from uh, the beatdown of BC last week. No changes to that Bomber lineup, which is a very rare occurrence in the Canadian Football League. But we will talk a little Bombers, as well as the rest of the Canadian Football League. Johnny Hodge from uh, Three Down Nation is going to jump on the program. And we'll also welcome in Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun. And we're going to kick it off with a little hockey talk with Murata Tesh, who's got a new piece on the best value Jets contracts in the athletics. So we'll kick that around as well. And maybe we'll put the percentage question from yesterday's show on Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shafley's future with the Winnipeg Jets to Murat a little bit later on. And I'm really looking forward to this. Later on as well, we're going to speak to Alexi Galarno, who, Canadian tennis player, who had that great run to the final last year in the National Bank Challenger Tournament here in Winnipeg. The tournament is back. It begins on Sunday with qualifying matches taking place all throughout next week here in Winnipeg, but it's at a new spot. The new Tennis Manitoba Hub in West St. Paul. And it sounds like players are excited to uh, to get out there and play in the new digs. And we'll have to jump on. We'll have to get Mark Arndt on in the next few days or maybe early next week to talk a little bit more about that and the tournament. But Alexi Galarno is going to come on as well a little bit later on. So quite a busy show. And just before we get to Michael Remus and welcome him into the program, let me welcome all of you in. This is everyone watching live on YouTube. Great to have you with us. Hit that thumbs up button and uh, make sure you've hit that red subscribe button as well. And of course, to all of the podcast listeners, Great to have you with us, making us a part of your day. By the way, whether you're listening on the podcast or live on YouTube or after the fact on YouTube, get on over to the Winnipeg Sports Talk Instagram if you'd like to win tournament passes for the upcoming Manitoba Open. We've teamed up with our friends at Aquatech, who are a sponsor of the event, to give away two, two, three packs of tickets for the entire event from Thursday through until Sunday. That contest is running all week long over at the uh, at Sports Talk WPG on Instagram. Get on it, enter it, and uh, we'll pick a winner after Friday's program. Uh, of course, thanks to Aquatech and all the other sponsors, Cool Bet Canada, Princess Auto, Modern Man, Canadian Club and Manitoba Battery, Wallace and Wallace, Vita Health Fresh Market, F Apparel, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, uh, Consolidated Supply, BP and Royal Sports, The Great Taste of Little Brown Jug, Aikens Lake, Breezy Band, Assiniboia Downs, and the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Huge weekend coming up for the Gold Eyes, which the re- with the Reggie Abercrombie event and retirement ceremony on Friday night, and then, of course, Bark in the Park on Saturday. Um, let's, uh, let's get... Uh, Let's get Remo in here and get things going. What's good, buddy? How are you? Good. Feeling good. You know, you got me thinking. We're having Alexi Galarno. Uh, he's taking part of that ATP Challenger tournament at the brand new facility uh, just outside the city. What, West St. Paul? West St. Paul, yes. Indeed. Okay. Don't want to get it confused with East St. Paul. It's a completely different direction. But, <laughs> but um, you know, we have that and the uh, 
Manitoba Open. I think pretty good month here for, you know, tournaments. No, maybe not the top level, but you know, up and comers and you know, list of the guys who've won the Manitoba Open or played it and now on the PGA Tour. And you know, you might look at the Canadians who are in, who are playing in, you know, even the, the bigger events, and you know, some of them played in this uh, Challenger Tour event. So pretty cool that we have these two events here in Winnipeg uh, in August. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, we'll get hockey going with another great jet season coming up in uh, September with training camp and the beginning of the season in October. But yeah, August is a time. Um, obviously, the Bombers are in full swing right now and getting ready to that very crucial part of the season with the back-to-back against the Riders. Gold Eyes continuing their season on the back half of their uh, 50 home games. But for golf fans and for tennis fans, August is the month. Um, you know, this tennis event was, uh, you know, we had Vasek Fosmasol on the show last year. He had that nice run, but it was Alexi Glarno that really made the headlines as far as the Canadians goes. Um, and you got some guys that have been, I heard that David Goffin, who I remember, I think at one point being a top 10 player in the world is here in Winnipeg. So there's definitely going to be some high level tennis. And uh, I mean, the, 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 the thin difference between guys on PGA Tour Canada and the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour really can be razor thin at times. And uh, I can tell you that uh, that event is going to be a lot of fun. And we'll do more about that coming forward. But um, we will kind of, let's start off with the Bombers, Remo. And obviously, uh, wheels up to Edmonton today to start things off with a Thursday night tilt in Edmonton against the the lowly Elks, who are going to have Trey Ford. But um Things And again, you'd probably prefer this to be the situation later on because you can never take anything for granted. But very rarely will you see a team that just goes right back to it with the exact same lineup. That's a great thing because nobody got hurt. Obviously, things went very well in the last game. And uh, I'm not sure whether the margin of victory will be as big as what happened last week against the BC Lions. But the uh, Elks are going to be welcoming a team that was looking every bit the role of the number one team in the Canadian Football League, regaining the spot on top of the power pole, and will go in as a massive favorite against uh, the Elks, who, as we all know, have not won at home as the Elks and have not won a game at Commonwealth Stadium since 2019. Yeah, 21 game home losing streak. (laughs) Absolutely crazy um that it could get to that but here we are and this is a really tough stretch for the elk schedule they played the bombers and then they played bc but then they had the bye and oh hey here's uh the bombers again what a murderer's row and you know you were wondering if they're gonna win a game all year um it's tough tough sledding here for the elks and they're making a change of quarterback with trey ford so we'll like to see what he can do because taylor cornelius he wasn't getting it done his record as a starter is not good. You know, they gave him that uh, that big contract at the end of last season. Good for him. But uh, the on-field results speak for themselves. And we'll see what Edmonton uh, does here tomorrow night, Thursday. Uh, you know, 0-8. And, eight. and you know, we'll, I thought Geno Lewis was their big off-season signing uh, at receiver. He's on the injury report. I'm not 100% what his status is. But, um We'll see how it goes here for Edmonton, who's you know struggled in all facets uh, this season. Uh, I BA split is in chat, and BA as he always is. Shout out to BA and all the regs. Uh, BA is is this a joke or are you serious? Bet on the Elks. 
you will win a lot. Do we do we have somebody in the WST chat actually predicting an Elks win tomorrow night? The end of the streak? That would be absolutely shocking. And just in case you're wondering what that number would be, Bombers are 12 and a half point favorites in the Elks plus 485. Mm-hmm. So, but as big a home underdog I've seen on a money line in yeah. what was, the Canadian Football League. BA's got memories of the Ottawa game where <laughs> a rookie QB started against the Bombers, who were huge favorites on the road. And it was a rookie QB who can run. And I see people in chat always bringing up how the Bombers have kind of struggled against mobile quarterbacks. We remember Chad Kelly. Wasn't he a rookie QB, Huss, last year in the Grey Cup who ran all over them in the fourth quarter? Can I bring that up? Is that allowed? Or I mean, I guess you can bring that and up. Then, and then what? And then the... Uh, so let me get this straight. This is the play. Trey the Ford D- is going to turn Crum. into Superman after being the third stringer all year long. Well, didn't Dustin Crumb just do that recipe a month ago or three, four weeks ago? Is that well, four weeks listen. Okay, if we want to go back to that game, let's do it. Think of everything that happened to conspire <laughs> to flip that game around. I, I mean, I've been watching football my entire life. Uh, the only time I can ever remember a comeback that resembled that was in Madden. <laughs> I mean, you know, crazy fluke things where you think that the computer's trying to even things up. I mean, the pick six... The fumble by Oliveira, the drop by Dalton Schoen, the defense getting ran over. I mean, that was just, that was a game that was essentially over, and then it wasn't, and somehow the Bombers lost that game. Um, to be to be honest, Remo, I think that game and the loss to BC earlier on has, I think in a lot of ways, refocused this Winnipeg football team as to what they need to do week in and week out. And, I mean, we... No better example of the uh, of that than what they did last Thursday night at home against the British Columbia Lions. And well, I guess part of me could see this game being closer than I think a lot of people a lot of people expect. Uh, I, I put it this way: I'm pretty sure on Friday we're going to be talking about 22 straight home losses for the Edmonton Elks. Anything other than that would be maybe as shocking as what Ottawa did to Winnipeg in that fourth quarter. Well, I think anytime uh, Edmonton wins. It's going to be shocking. They haven't won in 21 home games. That spans multiple years. Um, it's crazy. And you look at their schedule. It's like, are the Elks ever going to win uh, this season? Like, which game? You think are they going to beat the Thai Cats next week? Or Ottawa's coming to town? It's Calgary. They got two against Calgary, Saskatchewan, BC again, the Bombers again, Montreal again, Toronto. I mean, that's basically the whole league, but. Um, I don't know if you had to pick. There, you think they're gonna go uh, run the table and get zero wins? We'll have to, we'll have to see. But I could see them getting zero wins at home because you look at their home games: what Ottawa, Calgary, BC. Maybe they beat Montreal at the end of the year, or the Bombers. The Bombers here then. Maybe the Bombers are resting guys in that game. Who who knows? Yeah, oh, that's the, uh... that's here that game. The, uh, the the odds are out. I mean, um, for Edmonton to get their first home win, it's plus 190 against Ottawa on August 27th. Plus 290 that they will not win a game at home. Oh. Uh, the September 9 Labor Day rematch, uh, or maybe that is the Labor Day game, one of the two against uh, the Calgary Stampeders, plus 465 and plus 475 for tomorrow night against that Winnipeg. Seems- 
That seems low for them to not win a game. It seems like not like how many games is that? It's only plus two ninety. It's one, two. They still have five home games left. Wow. Um, but they'll probably be underdogs in all of them. Um, yeah. For, but I will big, say this: big in BA, if you actually do want to roll up to Coolbet, the Coolbet counter, it's plus four eighty five for the Elks to win this game. So uh, what? If you put a hundred down, you get paid five eighty five. So yeah, there's uh, there's some money to be made if a miracle happens. But I think this would be somewhat miraculous if the Edmonton Elks can get this win. Um, but again, we've seen the Bombers at times maybe play a little bit down to their level of competition. I just sort of feel, Remo, that last week's game was a real turning point for Winnipeg, and I'm not sure that they let off the gas at all unless, you know, they've got a massive lead in the second uh, in the second half. But, I mean, Edmonton did play the Bombers tight in that first half before Winnipeg ran away with it in the home game just a couple of weeks ago where we took down the yard dog. Yeah, I, <laughs> but yeah, we were busy eating the yard dog. I missed that that first half. Uh, no, just just kidding. That was close, and I, I like I would find it hard to believe that a rookie QB would beat them uh, twice, you know, in a season, and just the way uh, Crum did and Trey Ford. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, high expect. Actually, I don't know if there are high expectations for him, but he was, you know, a top draft pick. He's sitting on the sidelines, and you hear Edmonton fans saying, "Where's Where's Trey Ford? We've had enough of this, and they're making the change." So. You hope you know, for the franchise, uh, they're able to turn it around, but just you know, not tomorrow. Yeah, no doubt about that. So anyways, we'll get into more Bomber talk uh, with uh, Billick as well as John Hodge a little bit later on on the program. A uh, little bit of NHL news today, not anything major. Hmm. But the Leafs have added to their goaltending stable with Martin Jones getting a one-year $875,000 deal. Uh, to ostensibly be what would imagine be the third goalie in the mix. And, of course, uh, we know that Matt Murray will be going on LTIR. So they'll have Samsonov. I imagine Wall is going to be the number two guy. I think that is certainly the plan. But much like the Winnipeg Jets getting Colin Delia as a third goalie, less than a million dollars, a guy with some NHL experience, to uh, provide a little bit of depth of that position. The Leafs have done the exact same thing with the uh, former Kraken goaltender. Yeah, wow. Um, you look at their goalies. Uh, Elias Samsonov, he's the lead guy. Uh, Joseph Wool, they have as well. And Martin Jones. And Martin Jones, I mean, he got off. Like, his career numbers are not great. And his overall numbers like, uh, with Seattle last year actually ended up being uh, poor. 8.87 save percentage. But he did have a 2.95 uh, goals against, which I guess is that—that that was weird. It, like everything about Seattle last year. I mean, the fact that they won the amount of games they did without really getting—I mean, I would say I don't even think they got average goaltending. To be honest, when you look at the numbers of uh, he and Grubauer, I guess got better throughout the season, but yeah, early his, on that wasn't the case. His—he had that hot stretch in January where they went on that road trip. And yeah, they won all nine games. Yeah, and so Martin Jones's January was uh, nine and two, with nine one two save percentage, two thirty six goals against. But every other month he was like not. He was under. He was nine hundred nine oh one in November. And every other month was under nine hundred save percentage. So he got hot uh, for one month last year. Uh, gets the one year so one year deal, and you know they're against the cap. The Leafs they're still <laughs> projected to be. 
13 million over the salary cap oh, right now geez. per cap friendly and i guess with estimating ltir there's still three million over so you need they're going with the third goalie sign him for min salary i mean he's a guy who can play sure I, i'm you know that is one of the things that um and maybe we'll ask Murat about this, uh, you know, as far as what he's expecting to see. Um, just how these teams get to where they need to be for the opening uh, opening uh, puck drop of the season. Because um, there's a number of teams, and the Leafs are just one of them, that, you know, still I don't think have entirely figured out exactly how... I'm sure they have a plan, um, but I'm not sure the entire execution has been completed into getting cap compliant for the beginning of the season and uh i you know certainly this year maybe more than any ream with the cap only going up one million dollars there is going to be some major cap gymnastics by a number of teams in the national hockey league uh before they get the green light from the nhl to start the season yeah so cap friendly has it here you see how many teams are uh, over the cap one two three four five six seven eight 9, 10, 11, 12. I mean, that's almost half the league. But then they they have this new column that says they're expected players to be put on LTIR, and really only Tampa and the Leafs are over after that. So we'll have to see, you know, what happens around training camp. Maybe some guys go on waivers or something. But um, not as crazy as I thought it would be. But a lot of teams just hovering around the cap. And where are the Jets? They're 2 million. They got 2 Point two million in cap space, but they still have to sign um, Logan Stanley, and I'm not, you know, I'm not 100 on all the other RFAs uh, around the league. So the, I would imagine the Jets have about two million, or just under two, depending. You know, what is he going to sign for a million dollars, Logan Stanley? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably 900k, 950, 1.1. That's basically going to be where uh, yeah. where that number where that number comes in at. So we'll get to that coming up with Marat. Who's going to join us in a few minutes? We, um, sorry, we did have one other signing we didn't touch on. Uh, Matt Dumba, we were kind of waiting for him where he was going to land. And over the weekend, he signed with Arizona Coyotes because we know they need uh, bodies to get you know be around the cap. Yeah, or, they need guys to star in that new arena that they're going to have in Mesa. Yeah, so he signed a one-year deal, uh, three point nine million. He's going to roll the dice here, maybe get traded to a contender at the deadline, and you know go back next year. Uh, and pro- try to get a longer term, bigger deal. And Arizona is, what's their cap? They're what e? Wow, they're you no, know, they're getting close. To the cap it says uh, four million under, crazy. But I guess how many? What's of those that are... number? What's their LTIR uh, candidate number? Uh, it doesn't exactly. It doesn't exactly stay on here. I'm kind of surprised. Oh, here's Voracek. <laughs> and they got twenty two million uh, on the injured reserve. Voracek, eight million. Weber, eight million. Brian Little's got one more year, five million. Yeah, there was also the story with the Coyotes that they're looking to build a, uh, to buy a parcel of land in Mesa to potentially be the new home of the Coyotes. I promise you, we will not spend any more time than just mentioning that, because God knows oh. we've had enough of Coyotes future arena talks over the last decade plus on the shows that we have done i sent it um, to you let, let me know yeah let let me know when it's really happening arizona um, coyotes owner targets mesa land for a new arena looking to purchase so they've targeted land they haven't bought it they're just saying there is a spot that maybe they could make something happen um 
Yeah, he's looking to purchase 41 acres for a new land and thing. Pri privately funded, first privately funded arena in Arizona. Well, again, I'll believe it when I see it. Good luck to them to make that happen. Uh, but I, I won't be counting down the days till the big move from Mullet Arena to their new new spot in uh, Glendale. The, the Dumba deal, though, for a minute, I mean, a 3.9 is, is a good one for Arizona. Um, they sort of take advantage of the fact that they have the cap space. I'm a little surprised there wasn't more interest in Dumba at a bit longer term of a deal. But he'll be looking to cash in and, uh, you know, get maybe a longer-term deal next year when there's more money around. And in the meantime, he'll play probably two-thirds of the season down in the desert. And then he'll be in the top five of everybody's trade bait boards going into the deadline. And then he's probably going to get traded at the deadline and get a chance to play in the playoffs. So um, good stuff. Uh, good stuff on that. Hey, one, you, know, you mentioned the Dumba signing. We got so busy with a bunch of other things coming out of the weekend yesterday that we didn't really get into the availability of one Chris Strevler, who has been released by the New York Jets. And this is a bummer for Strev. He uh, got nicked up and hurt during the Hall of Fame game last week against the uh, Cleveland Browns. Uh, and it looks like there'll be some sort of an injury settlement, as Dave Naylor reported. So he's not expected... Uh, Naylor said it would be he would be surprised if Strevler landed in the Canadian Football League in 2023. And I guess, listen, he has been in the NFL long enough that there, and I think he's certainly well-respected enough that maybe there's a third-string job somewhere in the league for him once he gets healthy. But I do think that if that doesn't happen for him this year, the competitor that he is, I have a feeling that Chris Strebler at some point will be back in the Canadian Football League, whether that's in Winnipeg or elsewhere, I'm not sure. But at a certain point, you know that Strebler is going to want to be in a spot where he can play. And that just hasn't been the case in the NFL, and I don't think anyone expected it. The the uh, the accountant likes the move, but the competitor, I think, I'm sure that he watches what's happening in Winnipeg, and there is part of him that would love to be back here contributing to a team playing for a championship. Yeah, when one for seven in the preseason opener, one rush for seven yards, what he his thumb on a helmet. Uh, there's a lot of talk about him getting that NFL pension. Uh, he gets what nineteen or close to twenty thousand annually for life, and that might even go up well, when the NFL revenues go up. And Traveler did tweet out us focused on the next opportunity, getting healthy, always thankful for everything, bigger things ahead. And we'll, you know, everyone here interested. A lot of talk. Hey, would he come back? But uh, sounds like not really this year, maybe in the future. One thing with him in the NFL, it seemed like in Arizona and when he got an opportunity with the Jets, they want him to be a passer. And, you know, he hasn't ever really been known for his passing, more for his athletic ability and running. And, you know, he, Being a you know, human bulldozer. Yeah, we thought he could be like the next Taysom Hill, but we haven't really uh, seen him get that opportunity. And maybe, you know, no better opportunity than being on one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, last year, like the Jets, although they actually had showed some. He was flashes. the MVP of the preseason. Yeah, he was Mister August for the Jets. I mean, what three game-winning drives? Everyone loved them. And listen, he's such a great story and a great guy. I mean, he's hard not to cheer for. Um, but I do wonder. I mean, this year with the way the Bombers cap is, I don't know how. Like, let's just say that he showed up in a month and said, "Hey, I want to play." I don't know how they'd make that happen. But I'll tell you what: if it's the off season, Remus. 
I think that's a whole nother story. And actually, funny enough, Darren Cameron, speaking of anniversaries, tweeted this out today. I know for a lot of people, August 9th is the uh, the Gretzky trade date back in the 80s. But here in Winnipeg, it is the 10th anniversary of Wade Miller being named the boss man of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And, I mean, to think of where this team was back in 2013 to where this organization is right now is the crown jewel of the Canadian Football League. Um, it, it, I mean, listen, there's a lot of people that have a big, big part of it. Obviously, the players, Coach Mike O'Shea, his staff, Kyle Walters, but man, Remo has Wade Miller been a difference maker for this team, this organization, and this city, and a guy that deserves a ton of credit for the championship culture that the Winnipeg football team has built under his watch. Yeah, Darren notes over 10 years leading the Winnipeg Football Club. The organization has experienced a complete revitalization, two Grey Cup championships, record-setting attendance numbers, and a game day atmosphere that rivals any. Uh, thanks to a lot of people doing great things. And, uh, I mean, the sentiment around the Bombers around 2012-13, uh, what they were losing, you know, what they didn't have uh, the new stadium, you know, they were kind of getting this new stadium underway. Um, wasn't exactly that positive, but uh, this is the most winning that I've seen. <laughs> you know, what they went 30 years without a great cup, and here they've got two with another appearance. Um, pretty exciting stuff for the Bombers, who have turned into the class of the CFL, and you know, usually would be like, you know, why couldn't we be good every year like Calgary for so long? Now Calgary's kind of on the downturn. The Bombers are keeping this thing rolling here. Yeah, Bombers are that team, and uh, the boss, Wade Miller, deserves a big credit. So a happy anniversary to a Wade, and I know all he cares about is uh, his team getting another win, staying on top of the West Division tomorrow in Edmonton. We will talk a little more CFL later on with John Hodge and Scott Billick's coming up in a bit, but Murata Tesh coming on a little early today. Just before we get to Murata, big shout-out to our friends at Modern Man Barber Shops. Eight locations in Winnipeg now to make you looking good, fellas. Newest locations, Pemina Highway and Plessy Road amongst the eight. And, I mean, they've got a variety of grooming services for dudes. Haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Um, you can book your look, find out more, make an appointment at modernmanbarber.com. And you can also follow them on Instagram at modernmanbarbershops. I mentioned this right off the top of the show, uh, but get on over to our Instagram if you're a golf fan and want to win passes to the Manitoba Open, our friends at Aquatech are sponsoring the event and giving us two, three packs of tournament passes for all four days. You'll be able to see Morgan Barron tee it up as well as the other stars of the PGA Tour. And of course, uh, Aquatech is a lot going on right now. Is uh, you know they're uh, you know people thinking about pools for 2024 as well as whole home renovations which started Aquatech. And listen, with limited install dates left, get on down to Aquatech in-store or online to learn how they can make your in-ground or above-ground pool dreams a reality. Information on that, rentals, and more is all available at aqua-tech.ca. And again, get on over to at Sports Talk WPG on Instagram if you want to win those tickets to the Manitoba Open. Um Shout out to our friends at Manitoba Battery. I know they had a busy, busy run last week getting ready for the long weekend, but as summer continues, if you're making the most of your summer, whether you're camping, needing a boat, on an ATV, a lawn tractor, 
you need to power those things and you need batteries and manitoba battery is the best place in town to take care of all those things shopping local the best prices beating the pants off the big box stores and the most convenient purchase you'll make because on any purchase over 60 bucks donnie and his team are going to deliver it to you anywhere inside the perimeter of winnipeg for free you heard that right get on over to manitobabattery.com today you can also give them a phone call or see them in person at 1026 logan avenue uh, and just before we bring in Murata, big cheers to our friends at Canadian Club. Of course, you need to have the LC open to be able to purchase the great family of Canadian Club products, Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey. But you can pick up CC and Ginger at your favorite local beer stores now in 473 milliliter cans and in six packs. And of course, available at IG Field the next time the Bombers lace up at home as, of course, Canadian Club is the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. All right, let's uh, get to it. Talk a little puck right now. Marat Atesh of The Athletic joined us. Marat, what's good, buddy? How uh, how was your long weekend? How's the summer going? Long weekend was good. Um, honestly, I, I hope this just makes me sound extra cool. I picked up a bit of a cold over the weekend, and we're, we're just getting over it. Life is good. I I'm back to health and coffee and optimism and, and all things good in Jets writing land. Um, and hopefully I just have just enough Batman in me to make my points sound more compelling. <laughs> you always do. Uh, listen, I do want to get to your latest piece talking about value contracts of the Jets that you have in the athletic. But listen, the big story coming out of the weekend was this wild three-team trade that saw Eric Carlson move to Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm interested in what your first glance was. I mean, what was your first reaction when you heard it? Now that you've dug in a little bit more, um, what you think about the the creativity that took to pull this one off? Yeah, my my first impression was, my goodness, a a three-team trade in the NHL on an August-long weekend. It's supposed to be a boring league, but, but check it out. Well done, NHL. Well done in terms of making something work. Um, I also think that there might be some unique parallels and some unique differences between the situation Pittsburgh is in and the one that we talk about with Winnipeg all the time. And you're, I mean, I don't need to preface it beyond that. You're going to understand why I think there's some similarities and differences as we go. Pittsburgh is in a unique situation where they've got legacy. They've won cups. They've got Crosby, Malkin, Latang. And we know from some incredible reporting at The Athletic, i got to say, between Josh Yohe and Rob Rossi, my goodness, the story they wrote about that organization. But there was a bit of a power struggle there last year before all these changes were made. And it seemed as though they were looking to move on from Latang, move on from that, you know, th- those big three that they have. And from an angle, you understand it. You know, they're not those best in the world players that they used to be. From another angle, it's tough. They're still very good. And as an organization, especially with Sidney Crosby, I mean, the best of his generation for a good long while, um, you sort of almost feel like you might owe it in terms of loyalty, like take another swing as long as everybody's still good. And they missed the playoff for the first time in a million years this spring, right? So they're in this tough spot where if you ask me, I honestly don't think Pittsburgh can win a cup. No, I, I don't think that Pittsburgh is a favorite to win a cup, even with Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Eric Carlson. I think that they're just in tough and that they need a lot of things to go right to be a contender. But you understand why they're taking the swing. 
you understand that you know they've gotten cups from Crosby's generation and they feel obliged to do right by them to do the best possible thing that they can by them and I think that there's a nobility in going down that way and hey maybe they surprise me and maybe they're better than I thought and you hear about loyalty as such a negative term in Winnipeg sometimes oh hey you know True North just holds on to people they hold on to people you hear about criticisms of holding on to Paul Maurice for so long great coach for a while not so much after um, and you get in all this contract talk and gosh, they extended, you know, Brian Little was a pretty good player, Blake Wheeler, et cetera. You hear it as a pejorative term and there are criticisms available, but I think my biggest takeaway is I understand Pittsburgh is in a tough spot and I respect that they're trying to do the best that they can with it. Um, well, it's interesting. You kind of turn that over to uh, to Winnipeg because uh, I think the Winnipeg Jets are in somewhat of a tough spot. I think they look at this roster as they right now and thinks this can be a playoff team. This team can compete. And you also look at, what the Florida Panthers did last year, sneaking in as the 16th team of 16 and make it all the way to the finals. I mean, there is something to be said for a chip and a chair, as they say in poker. Um, But big picture going forward, I mean, you realize that, you know, if you do have Mark Shifley walk and you do have Connor Hellebuck walk at the end of next season, those are two massive holes that it has created without anything coming back. And, it makes the work to eventually find not just placeholders, but guys that can come in and give you anywhere close to that production, even more difficult if they aren't traded. And it is fascinating. I'd say right now, looking at the options of this club, I mean, whether guys are traded before the season during or not, and there is an element that, you know, Hey, we've drafted these guys. They've been with Winnipeg. They've given incredible value for their contracts. Maybe you can actually live with, not trading them and going through. But if we thought that it was somewhat of a last dance last year, I guess there's the possibility that, that could happen, albeit the team looking a little different after the Dubois trade with three new players coming in that we expect to have pretty regular roles. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a certain angle from which, you know, Connor Hellebuck, let's, I'll use him as an example because I think that he has been amongst the best few players at his position since 2017-18. And even in down years, you can sort of dig into where those shots were coming from. And even if his save percentage takes a dip, he's saving a lot more shots from those dangerous spots than you'd expect a goaltender to do. So from a certain angle, and I say this as somebody who has had Connor Hellebuck on my heart trophy ballot, not just, you know, not just thinking he's one of the best goaltenders. It would be hard for me to think that any contract you could give him in terms of a loyalty situation would be bad for Winnipeg. I mean, there's a certain amount of respect earned by being as good as it gets at your position for a number of years. But I think that in the reality of how markets work, I don't think it would take very long if that performance dipped in his 30s for fans to turn on him. And we've already seen situations where, well, the other guy has a better save percentage in the playoffs. And even if you go goal by goal, shot by shot, and you watch the double deflections and the screens and all those sorts of things, and you say, oh, my goodness, Connor Hellebuck played that as well as you could theoretically play it, you already sort of see the boo birds come out at this stage. So in terms of holes left, I think that there's no bigger hole left behind than if Connor Hellebuck left without somebody of quality coming back. And that's a difficult situation to be in. I also think Winnipeg's in a tough spot because let's say that for some reason he suddenly accepted a long-term deal um, sometime in his mid thirties, he's not going to be delivering, you know, 10 million, 9 million worth of value for his performance. So I think that leaves Winnipeg in a, in kind of an awkward spot. 
They have today. They know today. I think they can say that they know today that they're a playoff bubble team or like a chip in a chair, like you said, is a realistic opportunity for them. I think that there's optimistic optimism building in the pipeline for a couple years from now. Getting from here to there is going to be awkward and strange. And it could involve short-term deals. It could involve losing guys for less than they're worth. It could involve some curious decision-making. But I think Winnipeg's goal is to navigate that awkwardness and compete for that chip and that share. Yeah, um, and and I mean, it, it, it's going to make a very interesting, uh, interesting season, regardless of how things go. Um, you know, for those of us that cover the team on a daily basis. And, I, you know, we were spending yesterday a, a little bit just talking about where things were at as far as where we thought the likelihood of a trade before the season would be during the season, mid-season. And we can throw out numbers right now in early August. Um, but I guess from where I'm sitting, I mean, I think everything is on the table. And the biggest thing that's going to affect that is what this team looks like on the ice in the first 25, 30 games of the season, Murat, and where they are in the standings. Yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of those variables. You know, like there are reasons. You, I think there's a compelling case to be made that the team is better and worse than last year if you, if, if you really want to lean on some things. Like I like a team with the depth that Winnipeg has. And, you know, from an analytic perspective, sometimes we talk about sports that are strong link games, which means if you have the best player, you're more likely to succeed. Or sports that are weak link games, where if you have the worst player, even if the rest of your players are great, you're, you're in trouble. And there's been some debate in hockey. There's been, an, there's been an argument that hockey is a strong link sport, where as long as you have the best guy on the ice at any given moment, you're probably going to win those shifts. And you look at a team like Seattle, you look to a certain degree at a team like Vegas even, um, there are teams that are building around the idea that top-end talent is maybe a little bit overrated. And, I mean, Vegas has top-end talent, let's be clear, in Stone and Eichel and what have you. But plugging up those holes and having strong depth, I mean, that's that's a bet that I think some teams are making in the NHL right now. I'm fascinated. I don't know what the right answer is at this stage. But Winnipeg has more of its holes patched over this season than last. Like, if you can think of a fourth line with Barron and Appleton on it, because the team's so deep, you've got Niederreiter and Amestikov and Ayafalo all in your middle six. I mean, that's a deep team without a lot of holes, to be honest. And even that defense, which gets just raked through the coals because there's some inefficient contracts on it. You know, you're talking about players like Bianca or Schmidt delivering positive value, but being paid too much for a third pair. That's not the same thing as them getting absolutely shelled night in, night out and not delivering any value at all. And there are players in the NHL who are like that situation. So I think there's some top end to be missed with Pierre-Luc Dubois gone and the peaks missing. I think there's enough things that they've patched over where if you start squinting and going, well, if Perfetti takes a step forward and if Ehlers is healthier this year and if this and if that by 25 games, you could actually be looking at a team that's competing for it. And now you're looking at that three million of cap space as this asset where Winnipeg, hey, maybe they're going to go shopping and go for it again in a short-term sort of way. And if they don't get those bounces and if all those ifs don't go their way, then, I mean, suddenly they might look like uh, it's time to move on from Hellebuck, Shifley, and whomever else. Well, you know, it's an interesting, uh, you know, little segue into your latest piece in The Athletic where, um, you know, you're looking at the best value contracts of the Winnipeg Jets. Um, And I think you bring up, and we'll talk about the guys that are on that list, what actually stood out to me was the two guys that weren't on that list. The guys that we've been talking about all summer long, Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck. Now, I, was Hellebuck excluded because he's a goalie? 
I mean, when I look at, okay, I was about to say, because I think when we look at what he's done for his contract, he'd certainly have to be up there. But um, we've talked about Shifley with this great team-friendly deal for so long. Um, Did he not make the cut or uh, was there something more to it with the one year left as opposed to players with a little more term? Yeah, Shifley does represent value at his contract still. But in terms of the extremes, like in terms of guys that are delivering not only more per year, or I should say projected to deliver more per year, um, you know, some of those guys have more term left on their contract. So a guy like Kyle Connor, whose value compared to his deal is actually similar similar to Shifley's, well, there's actually an extra year left or two years left, pardon me, on, on Connor's deal. And so that allows him to, to, to look even better on this list. Same with a guy like Dylan Sandberg, two years uh, at a value contract looks e- even better than one sort of deal. So the guys that look the best aren't just guys who deliver more per year than maybe they get paid, but guys who are good bets to do that for, for years left on their terms. So Shifley kind of gets knocked by his incoming free agency. I also think that he gets knocked a little bit because his most recent year, even with all those goals, was a step back in terms of overall offense for him. Uh, whereas Kyle Connor, not only does he have a strong team leading uh, year most recently, he's got 93 points the year before that, which still has an impact. And there's um, there's a sense, perhaps model based, that uh, that that offense is is worth more than the defensive issues as well. Um, Josh Morrissey is Morrissey at the top of the list, and I don't think that's any surprise considering the monster year he had last season. Yeah, and it. It, Josh Morrissey is a is a great example of of I guess the sorts of things we should think about when when we use analytics based thinking. You know, there's a great argument to be made. How do I say this? Um, I think that people who never use analytics make some pretty uh, can make mistakes. There's mistakes that get made in terms of player evaluation sometimes, and I think that people who only use analytics make mistakes as well. I think Josh Morrissey, two or three years ago, where he was being projected as having one of the worst value contracts in all of the NHL, was a situation where his performance had dipped for a couple of years. And if you looked only at an analytic-based situation for that, you'd project him to be, you know, I think Dom's model had him as a 0.0, the definition of a replacement-level player before he takes a big step forward two years ago and then a Norris long list step forward this most recent season. So you have to, I think, incorporate a few different ways of thinking. And I remember, and I I sort of pat myself on the back for this a little bit much, but I remember watching Morrissey at training camp two years ago and saying, I see explosiveness there, I see pop there, I see the way he's making quick decisions. And listen, I don't care what the model says, I don't even care what the last two years have said. My eyes tell me that this is the Josh Morrissey of old, and maybe even with a little more pop in his step. Turns out he tells us later, I mean, he changed his training, and we, we learn all that stuff about his family situation. And he gets even better and better from there. Like there's lots that goes into that. And so now he's had this incredible season after a very good one the year before. And the model says he's a superstar, not just a top pairing defenseman, but great for a top pairing defenseman. And I think based on some of the on ice percentages, some of the bounces he got, all that sort of stuff, it might even be worth pumping the brakes on him putting another point per game season together. He's very good. He helps Winnipeg in an enormous way. I believe he's going to be very good at a value contract, but I I've seen some pretty, Oh, well he got 76 points and maybe he can do 80 this year. And I just think that's a little bit carried away. Well, I guess that one of the big 
questions to that, and that goes not just for Josh Morrissey, but a number of the Winnipeg Jets is, do they have to change the style that they play now with some moves? I mean, no more Pierre-Luc Dubois to take advantage of some of the skill sets of, you know, particularly, um, you know, a player like Alex Iafallo to be a team that scores a few less goals, but plays better defense, generally plays lower scoring games, but wins more. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I have time for that in terms of the types of players that they have. I think that when your middle six has an follow in it, he's just going to clean up some messes is what he's going to do. I don't think that you have to change how you ask your team to play. I think if anything, a player like that, and certainly there are good players who left in terms of Dubois and Wheeler, but players like an Ayafalo who helps um, sort of cover off some defensive issues or he makes reads that help clean up certain issues on the ice, he's a good back checker, all of those sorts of things, I see him as having the impact to let his defensemen step up in the play. And I think that Winnipeg playing a connected five-man game where players forwards come back and defensemen step up, that was the biggest change that we saw last year. That's the biggest change that led to Josh Morrissey's points explosion. Also, they started him in the offensive zone a lot more. There were some usage things as well. But that style of play, I I, I don't think if I follow as an elite finisher, I don't think Winnipeg's going to score more goals necessarily because of the moves that they made. But I think that you can sort of trust him to help the team play the way that you're asking it to. You know, uh, a couple of the other contracts are interesting uh, in that they're fresh, uh, brand new. Dylan Sandberg and Gabriel Velarde. And uh, I, I would imagine, I mean, you tell me if, I, if I'm off here, Part of it is that, you know, the Jets did a good job taking advantage of short-term deals, um, you know, off of ELC. And at least for the next two seasons, these two are expected to contribute at a level that probably greatly exceeds the uh, check that the Jets are going to be cutting to these players compared to the rest of the club and the rest of the league. Yeah, I, I think Sandberg and Velarde, great bets to just outperform the, the money that they're getting. And Winnipeg needs contracts like that. And the fact that they have them, that's why Winnipeg was ranked 13th based on what we did at the Athletic. And, you know, top half of the league, that's a big step forward for the Jets compared to recent seasons. Um, I think there's some unique reasons that each player is in the situation that they are. Um, I'm under the impression agents have told me this, uh, coaches have told me this. I mean, players get paid for big ice time and big points. And if they've done it for more than one year, that's when they really get paid. So a player has a breakout season like Velarde does, great. If he had done it for two years prior to this, I'm certain that deal would have been more expensive than it is. So I think that there's a certain element of, of wait and see and show me and prove it, prove that you're real to this deal for, for Gabriel Velarde. Doesn't have a lot of leverage at this stage of his career in terms of, you know, I don't think that was ever going to get to arbitration and he's still a relatively young player, all that sort of stuff. So I think now he probably is for real as long as he stays healthy. And this is a situation where he's going to deliver quite a bit of points, I think, in relation to his contract. His ice time is probably going to be more in Winnipeg this year than it was in L.A. last year. He's going to have some top six teammates probably as well. And so I think that there's plenty of arguments for him to put up, you know, another strong showing offensively and be well worth the 3.4 is it that he, he gets paid great for the jets and then they have him as an rfa after that dylan sandberg he's sort of the beneficiary of how third pairing defensemen get treated not just by the model but in real life as well winnipeg has been so good at sheltering third pairing defensemen over the years 
Logan Stanley was a plus a million as a rookie, even though he was still learning many things. Um, they're very good at making sure their top two pairs get tough minutes and their third pairing doesn't as much. You add all those things together, plus Sandberg's legitimate quality, the way that he reads the game. He doesn't get lost backdoor. He doesn't give up certain opportunities. I think that even though he doesn't put up points, which helps keep his contract cheap, um, I think that he's a great bet to be an excellent third-pairing defenseman at the very least. And by the end of this deal, I mean, he could be a solid top-four defenseman as well if all goes well. You know, Murat, I've got to ask you about a guy on the other end of it. And it's a guy we've spent a lot of time talking about the last couple years. But, I mean, you mentioned those two things, ice time and points. I mean, Neil Pionk has played a ton. And and we were doing a comparison of all-time Jet defensemen, you know, over the 2.0 era. And it was crazy. I was looking at he and Toby Enstrom together. And he is, I mean, way outseeded Enstrom scoring. Um, and, you know, was not playing with a guy like Dustin Bufflin. Why does Neil Pionk rank basically dead last on this team for the efficiency of his contract? Well, um, yeah, he gives up a lot defensively over the last couple of years. And that's where a lot of that comes from. He's still valued as, I guess, a good third pairing defenseman or a bad top four defenseman kind of in that range. If you look into the model and you, you sort of look at what the prices are supposed to be. So it's not like he's been awful, but he gets paid like a top pairing defenseman. And that's the issue. And he's got term left on his deal, two years left. Right. So the fact that he, in the model's view is overpaid. Well, that compounds each year. Um, But his strengths come from the fact that he does put up points and he does get paid and he does get pucks through to the net and he is uniquely good at getting a wrist shot through through traffic and all that sort of stuff. Um, but over the last two years, he's contributed to a lot of chances against Winnipeg. And, you know, the goals have gone in behind him when he's been on the ice. The scoring chances have built up behind him. When he's been partnered with Josh Morrissey in a defensive role, it hasn't looked good. Um, when he's been partnered with Brendan Dillon in a defensive role, it's looked better. But Dillon has also done even better away from Pionk. So I think that I think the scoring chances against him and the defensive situation, including real actual goals against the Jets, have just turned so far south in the last two years. I've wondered out loud if he's been playing through injuries. Uh, he doesn't seem to move well laterally at times. And, you know, it, it really has been a bit of a nosedive because his first two years were so good in Winnipeg. Um, but the model doesn't really remember those first two years nearly as well as it does the the most recent two, and those hurt him for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, and part of me, listen, obviously there were moments where things did not go well and there were turnovers, and I mean, he certainly wasn't the only one. But I mean, I look at last year's season, he had a career-high 10 goals, um, led the team in scoring in the playoffs with seven assists in five uh, in, in five games, and I mean, we're not too far removed from, you know, 32 points in 54 games when he signed the deal. But I guess the, the point being is that when you really dig in, it has been in the Jets' end where we've seen the erosion of quality that basically results in uh, where he ends up on this list. Yeah, I mean, this last season, you sort of a step behind a lot of those plays. Um, and there were chances building up from the dangerous real estate in front of Connor Alibuck. And... That happened with enough consistency. So so there's that. Also, with Josh Morrissey's emergence, I mean, Pionk for a little while there a couple years ago spent a lot of time on that top power play unit, right? So, um, And he produced from there. He put up a lot of points. Uh, some of that was just sort of being there. But I believe he's genuinely good at getting shots through seams and through the layers of blockers. He doesn't get 
quite as many minutes in that regard anymore with Josh Morrissey's emergence. So suddenly you're eroding his offensive um, uh, production, even if his instincts are still there. And then all those chances build up against him. I think Winnipeg needs him to play like first two years Neil Pionk. They need that 5.875 million Pionk in a bad way because if you can have him on one pair as a legit top four guy and Morrissey playing as he does, suddenly you're cooking. If he's not delivering that, you're in trouble beyond that top pair. And we saw what happened prior to all of that. Sorry, a monologue. But I also do want to give him credit for stepping up in the playoffs when Morrissey was hurt. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, he to me is, you know, one of the players that maybe in the offseason we haven't talked a lot about. But um, if there was one player that was able to elevate um, themselves back to where they were a couple years ago, um, might have one of the biggest impacts on the overall success of the team. Because, I mean, until something changes, he's still going to be playing a lot. He's still going to be given a lot of responsibility. And he has been productive offensively. But as we've seen before, um, like discussing so many players, there are two ends to the rink. And uh, you, especially when you're a defenseman, you need to need to hold your own in your own end. And uh, that, unfortunately, particularly last season, was something that... Um, was off for a good portion of the year. I mean, uh, I, I think of two conversations actually on the Pionk front. And one was one that I had with his dad when I went down to Hermantown and spent some time there. And his dad was telling me um, that they sort of have this culture in Hermantown where you don't lay down when you're hurt. You know, if you get hurt on the ice and you lay down as a kid, well, you're probably going to lay down as, as a teenager and as an adult as well. Like you get off the ice, there's all that sort of stuff. And I, I asked Neil about that and he's sort of like a little twinkle in his eye sort of deal because it was in the context of me wondering out loud if he was playing through an injury this season and him saying no and him saying no. And then him finally sort of changing his tack on that and saying, well, Murad, it depends on what you mean by playing through something. And like, we sort of talk about that culture. I think, I think that Neil Pionk was playing through something last year. I think that's very clear. I think it hurt the way that he played, and that's very clear. I think the Winnipeg Jets' decision to play him top four minutes during those stretches of play hurt the Winnipeg Jets as well, and I think that's a hockey culture thing. I think it's a Pionk playing through stuff and probably keeping it quiet sort of thing as well. And these are my rationalizations of why a guy that was so good for so long has been not as good for two straight years. None of that's going to matter at the end of the day. Like we Winnipeg needs the best version of his performance. And if you're looking at Winnipeg's chances this year and you're saying, well, if Perfetti steps forward and if Ehlers is healthy, well, one of the biggest ifs is if Pionk can step forward and, and sort of reestablish himself as a top four guy. Winnipeg always, hasn't always been that lucky. Shifley was good, and then Dubois slumped. And Dubois was great, and Shifley slumped. You need a lot of things going for you, especially if you're Winnipeg with the roster that it has, to be a legitimate chip in a chair sort of sort of can, playoff contender, I should say. And Pionk is a little bit of an if on that. I mean, I'm holding judgment until I until I see him play this year. Um, just on the way out, I got to ask you about one player that did make the list um, is Kyle Connor, and we all know that what he can do scoring goals. How did his defense or lack thereof? I mean, this is not going to be, he's not going to be on many Selkie ballots next year, I don't think. Um, how did that affect his standing? Um, obviously, not too much because he still cracked your top five. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that helps him is the minutes he played with Dubois because the two of those players outscore and outchance their opposition. Chifley and Connor together have been a bit of a mess defensively over the years. And the more you avoid that, 
the more you mitigate Connor's defensive issues as well. I think Shifley gets bagged on a lot for it, but Connor's defense is like his his impact has really been quite poor over the years. And I think Winnipeg has been spared some of the worst of that over the last couple of years. If you're looking at the lineup right now, though, and you're looking at a Connor Shifley reunion on that top line in a big, big way, you're going to have to find a way to mitigate the defensive issues because I think there are plenty of them. Uh, can they mitigate that by putting a more responsible player on the other wing, like an Ayafalo who's had that role in the past with LA? I mean, for the Jets' sake, I, I hope so. I, I, I don't know. And he would probably be the most defensively responsible player that they've had alongside them since Blake Wheeler. Um, Ehlers' impact, obviously great in terms of puck transition, but in his own zone, I think Ayafalo would be the superior player for sure. And same with Wheeler in his heyday. So... It's been a while. I mean, you have to go back a few years since Connor Shifley and X outscored their opposition, unless it was like in a short-term duration. And so Ayafalo would be a bet. It would be a big bet, I think, if you're Winnipeg. I'm really interested to see how the new guys kind of fit in uh, at the beginning of the season and how things go. But um, uh, hard to imagine this team, you know, winning a ton of games if they don't get that sort of production from the guys that – you know, are on that list that are making the big money that will be getting significant ice time from Rick Bonus going forward and gives us lots to talk about as we get into uh, into training camp. Marat, great stuff as always. Uh, be well, keep enjoying the summer, and we'll look forward to doing this again soon. Right on, you too. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. There's Marat Atesh. You can check out his latest at theathletic.com. Definitely worth the subscription just for Marat's stuff alone. All right, um, Billick is up next. We will have some CFL talk with John Hodge a little later on. And we're also going to talk a little tennis. Shout out to our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market. If you're looking for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, groceries, and Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products too, Get on down to one of six Vita Health Fresh Market stores or shop online at their fully shoppable website at myvita.ca. Of course, barbecue season is in full swing. Nothing better on the grill than Vita Market grass-fed bison and beef steaks. And for all of you day trippers, pop by Vita Health for delicious grab-and-go lunches. And all month long, you get a free sapsucker drink with any sandwich or wrap purchase to go. Uh, Vita Health Fresh Market empowering people to lead healthy lives six winnipeg locations and online at myvita.ca of course wallace and wallace are winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist just finished sponsoring the world police and fire games and did all the fencing that was on their various sites and uh now they're teaming up with the gold eyes for the bark at the park. Uh, Wallace and Wallace is supplying the pedestrian fence for the dog registration uh, pen for bark in the park and are sponsoring the pet photo booth. Make sure you check it out on Saturday next to craft beer corner. Of course, Wallace and Wallace has all kinds of temporary fencing available for residential weddings, etc., commercial for construction. And if you need a dog run, Wallace and Wallace does that too. Find out more by giving them a call at 452-2700. You can also check them out online at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. Fellas, how is the closet looking? Fall is coming up. A big new year, big new hockey season. 
and maybe getting out of the shorts and t-shirts we're wearing and having to step it up a little bit. If you need to do that, you need to get on down to F Apparel. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. If you are in a wedding or in a wedding party, talk to them about a 15% discount when the wedding party gets their suits at F Apparel. And the best way to do it is to pop down and see them and everything they've got going on in person at 190 Smith Street. You can also find out more online or make an appointment to pop in and see them at F, that's E-P-H, apparel.com. And uh, Billick joins us now, but a big shout out to Nick and Nikki DQ, four locations, DQ Northgate, Polo Park, St. Anne's, and the DQ in Niverville. Still lots of time to get down on those incredible summer blizzard flavors those delicious stack burgers. And when you're leaving, pick up a couple cases of Dilly Bars or Buster Bars for the freezer as well. DQ Manitoba on Instagram as well if you want to order a custom ice cream or blizzard cake. All right, let's get Scotty in to continue the program. Billick, what's going on? How are you? Going. I'm sore. Had a great golf game yesterday. Nice. What'd you shoot? Media contingent. Uh, I was in the mid-90s. It was, a, I, I, me and Kenny were neck and neck on the, First on the front nine, I think we were 46 and something like that. 40, he was 44, I was 46. And then I, I shot a 50, I think, on the back nine. Just absolutely unraveled. Uh, what track? Granite Hills. Yeah, Granite Hills. Oh, Granite, um, nice. Yeah, Kenny on 17, brained a 64-footer. Like, not a – it was a chip shot uh, on uh, for Eagle, so – that was it. That was oh, game over. he must I mean, have was been loving over. himself at that point. Yeah, yeah, we were all excited for him. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't a hole in one or any of that stuff, but you know, that's all. And now he's got to start sinking these like yeah, chips from around the green and all that. But yeah, it was it was really nice. So yeah, we had a good. It was a good game. Good time. Um, good food. All that oh, stuff. oh, by the way, speaking of Ken, I have to give a special thanks to uh, Bailey, the intern, who did a summary of Ken's legendary 18-minute answer to Remus's question on Friday. 18 um, minutes? Yeah. It's, Are you kidding me? No. Holy I got a text from Reem that said, yeah, it was good, but then Ken kind of went off on a 20-minute answer, and I just assumed that that was like a massive exaggeration. No, we went back and checked the tape. 18. Wow. There, there, there it is. This. There it is. You can see. You can see. This is, this is a, a summary. This is oh, the, okay. no, it's not a transcript. That's a summary. <laughs> That's a summary. No, a 20 minute transcript would be longer than that for sure. Um, Unbelievable. Th- that being said, that being said, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the question, which was, you know, the Winnipeg Jets second line center, I, I, as you can see, there was plenty different ways that you could go with that. And I think Ken went everywhere. <laughs> he went, he went uh, all the ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. It's full 360 coverage. Um, yeah. But, um, but that is, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Mark Shifley. I mean, whether Mark Shifley's here or not, um, you know, there is still some, you know, intrigue about how that top six looks, how mm-hmm. much more balanced the lines are, to be honest. I mean, I, I do have a feeling that with the guys coming over from the Kings and the way the talent is maybe a little bit more spread out, I think we could be seeing the fourth line playing more. I think a more legitimate rolling of the lines but that still doesn't really get us closer to whether it's a Gabriel Velarde, whether it's a Cole Perfetti, or potentially a Vlad Nemetsnikov in the middle, depending on how that top line looks. And I'm of the opinion, we just talked to Marat, 
I mean, we've seen Shifley and Connor together. The results, I mean, yes, they score, but they give up a lot in their own end. It yeah. wasn't particularly different with Nikolai Ehlers. I'm not sure they don't look at starting with lines that don't include those three guys together and maybe getting a Velarde and an Ayafalo in right from the get-go into that uh, into that top six. But um, to me, it, it is a really interesting question. We had fun with the fact that it was an 18-minute answer. But there is a lot to chew on, if you will, when you talk about um, you know the many different ways that Rick Bonus could go putting together that second line. Yeah, I mean, I'll keep it under the wire here. But uh, yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, it's interesting because I still go back. It was the one thing that Kevin Shoveldayoff said. I, I believe it was after his meeting with us in the media after Free Agent Frenzy opened up on Canada Day. Any, any. He made it kind of clear that they want to try Cole Perfetti in his natural position, which is, which is center, and they want to give him that opportunity. And part of the reason, reasoning, you know, behind the trade and all that was like, you know, they have these pieces that they could play in these positions. So, you know, it, it's almost like mitigating the loss of of Pierre Luc Dubois. While the, you know now they they have this opportunity to use Cole Perfetti there. That's the one that I'm curious to see. Like, are are the Jets going to start the season second line center? with Cole Perfetti there, right? Like, I think that's the first question that's going to ask because that, that, that'll determine whether or not, you know, Sheveldayoff was just saying whatever or if this is something that both player and team really want to explore and see if that's, you know, something that, that Perfetti can turn into at the NHL level because I think a lot of people look at Cole Perfetti as size and maybe he doesn't have, he's not the speediest guy and think, well, he might be a better suited for, for a winger in this league. And, and so that that's the first thing that I want to see because I think you know that Nemestikov can play center and has played second line center on this team um, at, at at times. I think you know that Gabe Velarde can also do that job, um, and I think you'd also be looking at the fact that you'd probably want Gabe Velarde at some point doing that job full time um, and potentially being the top line center on this team at some point in the future. So you know, I, I think this team has this. Where before it's always been kind of Shifley, Dubois, Lowry as your top three down your spine, or you know before that the uh, I don't know Stasny, whoever you want to put in there, the people that are, that played Brian Little even before that, it's always been at least two of those guys that have been there. But now that things are kind of changing, um, I still think Adam Lowry's probably your third line center. Um, but a bit, and, and, and do you look back at the Nemestikov with the Ehlers and how well they played together? Um, could they do that as wingers for each other? Is Nemestikov maybe bred for the third line and you move an eye follow up into the top six? Or it, it's, yeah, it, it's one of the biggest question marks probably heading into, well, it is the biggest, I, I, well, other than, you know, are these, is Mark Scheife still going to be here? Connor Hellebuck, those types of things. Um, but I think there's options, right? I mean, I think that's maybe the, We've talked in the past about like this forward depth, and it, it hasn't always been there. I mean, I think now there's all these pieces and, and versatile pieces that you can kind of maybe fit into different things and try different things. And training camp is going to be a lot about, I think, experimentation more than anything because you don't have the same guys that you've had. You know, you losing Dubois and Ehlers is two, or sorry, Dubois and Wheeler. It's two guys out of your top six, so now things are just forced to change. Like they have to change. And it's interesting though you you know, options, when you look at right? um, I mean, just think of where this team was a day before the trade deadline mm-hmm. to now, 
And obviously those two guys are gone who have been mainstays of the team for the last few years. But you bring in Ayafalo, you bring in Velarde. Campari's yeah. probably more so in, you know, kind of in the mix for a fourth line role. But Nemetsnikov and Niederreiter, I mean, the the, the deadline mm-hmm. pickups have proven to be very, very versatile players. I do sort of think, though, that maybe they lean on the guys right out of the gate from the Kings off the top, and especially as we talked right. about. I mean, if you're going to roll with Shifley and Connor playing together, um, you know, barring some sort of come-to-Jesus moment where that turns them into, you know, big-time you know, defensive players, I, you know, this might be a perfect opportunity for a guy like Ayafalo to find a spot where he doesn't right. need to be the offensive kingpin, but can do a lot of the things that he does so well and responsibly that might help what happens in their own end a little bit more. Um, because the, the, and we just talked to Murata about it. I mean, there's plenty of data of those two playing together. And, right. uh, you know, while the numbers often look good in the stats when it comes to who's scoring, and, you know, who's not. I think if you looked at wins and losses and some of the goals going in the other end, those, you know, players are directly involved in that. So, I mean, to me, if those guys are going to go together, you have to find a way to lighten the load in your own end when those guys are there because they won't always be, uh, you know, snake charming their way, as uh, our pal Rennie would say, through the opposition zone. There is some yeah. time in their own end, and uh, that has been problematic before. But I think there's potential in some of the new guys to come in and maybe lessen that. Well, you wonder, right? Because well, if you go back to – you remember the Carolina game where Shifley and that whole line got sad. I mean, they had Nino Niederreiter on that line. It just wasn't working. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. Niederreiter had been here for five minutes. I mean, now that he's going to have a full training camp under his belt, all that stuff, it should be just. One thing that really intrigues me is like, could we see just like wildly different lines than maybe any of us could have imagined, right? Like, not even imagine, but like, just not what we the conventional wisdom or even thinking would think suggest, right? Because if you if you could give Mark a player that can play with him, potentially an Ayafalo, whoever, Nina Ryder, whatever, does it matter if they're on the top line if that's a defensively sound, you know, much defensor, much better defensively sound line? as a top line that still has, you know, a 20 goal score, let's say in Niederreiter or, a, you know, a 20 goal score in Alex Ayafalo. I don't know. Because if you could get 20 goals out of each of those guys and 40 out of Shifley, you got an 80 goal line and you're, I think you're dancing at that point. It might not have the same ceiling in terms of scoring that you would have with, with, with let's say, Shifley, Ehlers and Connor or whatever and stacking a line like that. But again, I, maybe some subtraction on in terms of the offense would actually just help this team out more because you would just be playing a better defensive game. And so that that's what is intriguing to me going into the camp. I mean, we'll get to camp previews and all that. But I'm just I'm wondering, I mean, part of this I think is just you got to get Mark Shifley on board of maybe it not looking the way that he would like it to look sometimes in terms of just like, you know, full throttle offense, whatever. But I, I think you can make this team better by maybe diversifying spreading out sort of things and and maybe not having the conventional that we've seen for forever now right like it's always this default go back what was the default go back to you know wheeler and connor and shifley and then and and that line i wonder because they have this depth now but you put different guys um like the isla fallows like you said and, and 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 guys like that into more prominent positions in the lineup but that would actually just help the team because 
and you don't have to. It doesn't have to be like the first line plays 25 minutes a night anymore, and Ehler is maybe on the second line or even the third if you can make a line that makes sense. Still is playing, you know, a reasonable amount of minutes every night. Like that, that's going to be the thing that, that that Rick Bonus has to juggle this year. Well, and, and here's the thing: we have to kind of sort out. Right? Yeah, and speaking of juggling, I mean, I agree with you all of that, and I think there is a path to being a better team yeah. by playing all 12 forwards more evenly and being a little bit more committed to de- to defense. But when it comes to it, I'm just seeing there's a lot of talk about Shai Felipe in particular. Um, mm. You know, yeah. would that be great for the team? Yeah. Would it be good for a guy coming off a 42-goal season that's playing for a new contract next year that has a history not. of not buying in very well to things that maybe be better for the team than not the individual? I mean, yeah. that, that that's a real concern. And... I, Again, you know, we haven't heard anything from Rick Bonus over the course of the offseason. And mm-hmm. I was on with Rod today. I mean, we remember how much contact there was between the coach and the players after he got the job heading into last right. season. Can't wait to hear how much interaction there was between <laughs> Rick, whether there was a cooling off period, whether right. it was yeah. very similar to beforehand. Um, because I think the talent is there, but I mean, you use the word buy-in. And I mean, unfortunately, if you haven't, and let's face it, we all know that key players one in particular has not really been fully bought yeah. in at times before and it really hurt the team so they either need to figure out a way to make things different to get that done i don't know whether that's possible or find a way to mitigate that and i mean it does have to be about the team but again as a player that is finishing up an eight-year contract that is looking ahead to what's next for him there's some very unique challenges for the head coach when it comes to to that situation in general, assuming that the guys here are the team. I Yeah, I agree with you. I, I wonder how much a season from Mark Shifley that, you know, if Mark Shifley puts up 30 goals next year, are people batting an eye at his um, lessened offensive production? Or would prospective teams that have big question marks about his ability to buy in and and do those types of things be more willing to sign him to a long term contract if he could show that that's you know he's uh, a reformed individual, changed whatever you want to call it? Because I think for Mark, the best thing that he can do this summer, and if he's not telling himself that somebody else in his corner needs to be telling him is to come into this season, not complain about whatever situation is and make the best of it. Make your line better, right? You want to be in the conversation for one of the best centers in the world and all that kind of stuff. You need to start making the guys around you better. And part of that for Mark is one buy-in two defensive play, right? If you can come into this season and maybe sacrifice a little bit of production, because you're going to get all the power play time in your world in the world, right? The, that's just the, the nature of it with Mark. He's going to get all that time. If you can play a better game five on five, I think it opens up way more opportunities for you come free agency next summer or wherever it gets to um, with him um, across the league. Because I, I think I, I don't think other teams are dumb. I, I, I understand that. Other teams are going to see 40 goals, but yeah, we'll sign that guy because, you know, that's what we want. But as a team, you know, if you're looking at Mark Shifley, if you're, if you're, you know, we wonder why the, maybe the trade market's not there for Mark Shifley. Could it potentially be he has a reputation that precedes him a little bit, right? Um, I wonder if he could work on that reputation this year. And I thought he was going to do it last year. 
Um, the way that he came into training camp last year, the conversation I had with him in Banff, I mean, I think we all kind of first fell three for months looked pretty bit. good, and they did exactly. But then, you know, the do we want to call it the true Mark Shifley showed his colors? Like I, I don't know what we how we want to say it, but Mark Shifley became Mark Shifley again, the one that you know got benched, didn't really own up to it very much, and especially not after the game. Let the guy that was here for five seconds deal with the with the brunt of that, and and kind of quit on the team for the next you know five to ten games or. Or whatever. I mean, that to me, if I'm a, if I'm a GM, if I'm a team, if I'm looking to spend five years and let's say I don't know nine, eight, eight million, whatever it's going to be, you know, even Bor Horvat money, whatever, whatever the money is, I think you want to know that this guy's not going to pull some of the stuff that he's pulled here in Winnipeg. And so, now you make I think a great the, point, man. I think the biggest point is for me, if I'm Mark Shifley this summer, I I got to find a way. And, or somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to be like, Mark, like, it's time to, you know, this is a contract year. And as much as it is about point production, I think, I think, I don't think there's any team in the world in, in, in the NHL that's going to do, that's going to, to say, look, if he has a few less goals this year, that they're going to say he's regressing in terms of no. his offensive. I, he, Mark, if, one thing we do know, Mark, he's in incredible shape. Um, and and he keeps his body safe. He hasn't taken a lot of damage in his career in terms of big hits or whatever. All those things. That's one of the things that's helped him from the from the Adam Oates thing. But I think for him, the biggest thing this year, and I think the biggest thing that he could do, is just pay some attention to you know what the team needs and 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 be more of a, a company man. Let's say right, like just just be be a center and be a leader. That I think a lot of people here think that he can be but it just hasn't really panned out into that so no, you're far. right you're right, I mean, age, right? when you talk so. about uh reputation uh resuscitation if you will uh, everybody yeah. knows that mark shifley is very very talented offensive player and is able to score tons of goals and set up and you know yeah. was a point of game player um for the majority of his career it wasn't last year but that did coincide with 42 goals but i think yeah. If there are more teams that feel that they can trust him to yeah. be more, more committed to everything that it takes to win hockey games, um, it, it, it'll be a win for him um, wherever he ends up next yep. year. Um, you know, and a win for the Jets next year too, right? I mean, as long as he's here next year, the Jets benefit from that the most, at least 100%. in the short term, right? So, yeah, I, I think this is. I think it, I think we have to expect that that's the way that Mark Shifley is going to come into camp because. I, I can't imagine right now at his at his age where he's at in his career and knowing that the market for centers, at least this summer, hasn't really been there, or at least for him. Um, I, I think you're gonna kinda have to like take a look in the mirror and be like, Okay, like I, I, I gotta figure this out because I mean, because he was on the whole thing. He he did the Blake Wheeler kind of remember when Blake sat down with Sarah there and talked about how difficult it was being a captain, how much toll it was taking and all that. Well Mark Mark sort of did that last year when Sarah went to the Jets and had that conversation with him right before the Manitoba Open there, and 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 talking. That was the first about, time you know, anyone that. heard from him from exactly. the infamous Sa- end of season exactly. comments Since the year before. Exactly. So you, we all thought that that was the resuscitation of his whatever, but then as the season played out, and if, you know for whatever reason the team went from being one of the best teams in the NHL to one of the worst again, and part of that. I, for me is that a guy like Mark Shifley lost, you know, lost the confidence in the, in the system that, that Rick Bonus was employing, even though that system 
produced his best goal scoring season, at least uh, of his career. We, we all know, we, and we can go upon this about it. But again, my whole point is that I think Mark Scheifele just needs to come in and have that type of year where you know he's going to. It's more about what he does off the ice and on it, but not in terms of his offense, but what, you know, what's happening up here for Mark. That's yeah, what, I know. I, I mean, as important. they say, he'll, uh, I mean, certainly there's going to be a huge spotlight on 55 when he uh, gets to camp, assuming that he is still a member of the Winnipeg Jets when things get going. Hey, just quickly, we've got about a minute left before we bring yeah. in John Hodge. Uh, end of the run for the Sea Bears, unfortunately, on Friday, another yeah. massive crowd, but uh, what a first season for uh, for that team and uh, for Pro Hoops being back in Winnipeg. I know you were there for most of the games. I unfortunately yeah. was out of town. I wasn't there on Friday. But uh, I have just real fond memories of the way this team continued to gain momentum. And uh, I think we're going to see a really excited group of people. Probably it would be – listen, as someone that sold tickets for a long time, wouldn't yeah. mind being in that Seabrass front office in the offseason because I think there's a lot of people that are going to be stepping up. I think it's going to fundamentally change where they're starting going into next season yeah. when it comes to attendance. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it, it's literally sold itself all year, right? I mean, they've done, obviously, ads and all that, but it, word of mouth has been so huge for that. The games have been great. I mean, even in the loss on Friday, I know you weren't there, um, but Jelani, it's it's like 80, it was 84-78 and Jelani Watson-Gale comes up and six inches right before the uh, the three-point line, launches one, puts one up, sinks in. Everybody's on their feet. Like, it's, you know, it, it, it felt it felt like an NBA game because, I mean, even when I look straight, because you know where the press box is, you look straight up at, at, at the upper deck and six of those kind of sections up there were full and all that. So it, it, it was... It was really cool to see how, and I mean, credit to you. I remember, I remember you saying it, it was your hot. I don't know, it was even a hot take, but it was you know that that this team would with the the fans and all that they would average more than the than than the than the the, the highest attended game in history that used to be forty four hundred and and changed. The Sea Bears have, have have in my mind changed the way that the league. The league league will look at expansion teams. Change the way that the I think other teams are now going to look at the Sea Bears to like okay how, how can we kind of get this sort of atmosphere and get in a venue and get in a venue like well and that's, how, that, that was the key that? thing that Asper did. That? Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with you hundred percent because and I think it's going to bode very well for Winnipeg and the recruitment efforts. Oh yeah, because you have ten games, eleven games, including the playoff of this. Of, of, of footage that you can show of fans and and the facilities and all these things, even the Sport for Life Center where they practice. I mean, that, that place is basically brand new, and it's a tremendous facility for guys to be able to practice. We're talking about a summer league and a league that is an upstart, basically. It's still in its infancy. So, um, yeah, I mean, Winnipeg has everything kind of set out. It reminds me a little bit of the Bombers and their new stadium and all that and the culture that they kind of fostered and, and making it really family oriented and that sort of thing. I, I think the Sea Bears of and David Asper, who you know we all know from his time with the Bombers, um, kind of learned some things from that time there and has really certainly applied that yeah. to Sea Bears and, and all their success. So yeah. he knew what he was doing. It was a lot of fun. We'll yeah. look forward to next season and now we'll look forward to uh talking to you next week. Have a good rest of the week, buddy. Keep them straight. Yeah, yeah we'll do. Thanks. Man. All right. All right. There's Scott yeah. Billick of the Winnipeg Sun. Uh, we're going to transition back to a little Bombers and some CFL talk in just a minute with John Hodge of Three Down Nation. Of course, Bombers on the road tomorrow. 
But when they're back at home playing at IG Field, you know what that means. Get on down to the Princess Auto tailgate zone. The Princess Auto game is coming up at the end of August as well. So there'll be probably some special stuff going on there. We'll let you know closer to it. But two hours before the game, $3.50 popping hot dogs, $5 beers. It is the place to be before the game. And then, of course, we go into IG Field and see the Bombers do what they do. Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the Gold Eyes, and Winnipeg Sports Talk. And it's also the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Pop by and see them at one of two Winnipeg locations or shop online 24-7-365 at princessauto.com. Um, I know there's still lots of summer projects going on. And uh, folks, our friends at Consolidated Supply out at 1395 Niagara Road East, have so many things that can help you make the most of your property. They are the leaders in irrigation systems, working with the golf courses around Manitoba for years. They can help you get that beautiful green look. Talk to Joe and the gang over at Consolidated for that. Maybe you're thinking about a dream putting green in the backyard. They're the leaders in artificial turf. And speaking of golf, uh, new golf carts, used golf carts, and all sorts of cool vehicles from Club Car, are available as Consolidated is the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba. And other great options for your property as well, including hot tubs and amazing outdoor kitchens. Not to mention, they're the go-to guys for small engine parts and repair. So much is waiting for you at Consolidated Supply. Pop by and see them at their showroom. Open to the public, 1395 Niaqua Road East. Or find out more online at cte.ca. Um... Our friends at Royal Sports are uh, looking ahead to NFL season right now, as am I. New NFL stock coming in every single day. So whatever your favorite team, Royal Sports has you covered before NFL kickoff. And, of course, a great selection of bomber gear, thousands of pieces of Jets merchandise. Maybe you need a new jersey for one of those new players. Royal's got you covered. Blue Jays. Raptors and NBA, international soccer, and of course, soccer, baseball, softball equipment, tennis, disc golf, pickleball, and a huge selection of bikes. It's all there at 750 Pemina Highway, Royal Sports. And give them a follow on Instagram as well at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. And of course, tomorrow night, the Bombers are on the road in Edmonton. Who are better to get together with your crew and watch the Bombers put up another W? Then your local Boston pizza, the big game on the big screens with big sound, ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and the latest from the BP feature menu. Sign me up tomorrow night. See you at BP. And if you are staying in, you can always order online at bostonpizza.com. All right. We're into week 10 of the CFL season. Wild. Let's bring in our pal John Hodge from 3 Down Nation for uh, the latest from around the league. Johnny, what's going on? How are you? Not much, Huss. Thanks for having me. God, you always, you have the best mic. You know, you just come on. You have the, it's almost <laughs> like the it's Rod Smith esque. That's how good you sound right now coming in. So appreciate wow. you, you stepping That's that high game praise. up. Well, it is. He he does have the voice of God. But um, let's let's first off just talk about. I mean, I was away on Friday, so uh, I did a lot of talking off air about the Bombers beat down at BC, and. Uh, now, a lot of the guys in the regular media sessions didn't really want to call it a statement game or anything like that. But we had conversations with both Brady Oliveira and Rashid Bailey, who did refer how they got it handed to them. Um, 
it seemed like everyone was remembering that game and was ready to be at their absolute best last Thursday in, uh, what can you say? They hung a 50 burger on a team that wasn't giving up any points. Yeah. I think the stat was the lions had given up five picks going in or, or had given up five offensive touchdowns going into that game. And the bombers obviously put up two in a hurry two in the first six minutes Polaris with almost 200 yards in the first six minutes. And then Winnipeg ended up scoring six in the game, including a long bomb from Drew Brown. I often think that's, that's got to be ultimate salt in the wound when a team pulls its starting quarterback because they're up by, you know, a million points. And then the backup comes in and throws a dagger. Like that's, that's got to be demoralizing for the BC Lions. And look, you're right. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers said all the right things all week. Mike O'Shea is not one to have his team give opponents billboard material. But with that being said, I, I feel comfortable speculating that the Bombers felt awfully good about what they were able to achieve. And something that I, I think was not talked about enough going into that game, honestly, was just how imperative it was for the Bombers to get that win. If they had lost that game, they would have fallen behind 0-2 in the season series, which meant that the BC Lions would have secured it. And the Lions would have also been four points ahead in the West Division standings. And again, with the tiebreaker, for all intents and purposes, that would have been uh, essentially a five-point lead. And making that up over a half season of football, when the Lions have been playing as good as they have, not an easy thing to do. The Lions also have an easier schedule the rest of the way. They're done playing the Toronto Argonauts. The Bombers have to play them once. So to me, it was it was not only essential for the Bombers to win, but the way that they were able to do it really put an exclamation point and i don't think it's a surprise that the bombers are now at the top of the three down power rankings as well as a lot of power rankings across the country they they had slid slid mostly to the third spot that i'd seen behind toronto and bc after last week they're back at number one and it's it's almost like the old dog the bombers are the oldest team in the league but it's almost like the old dog reminding everybody where they belong at the top of the heap yeah, that was uh, that's certainly the way it felt, um, you know, on Thursday night. And and I mean, it, it, listen, we could basically go through the receivers, the offense, defense. I mean, everyone played, you know, a five-star game. But maybe the most important performance from my side of things was what the offensive line was able to do. I mean, this was an offensive line that got it. They got run over. I mean, uh, in, in that game, you know, earlier this season, giving up seven sacks we had seen the best of them at times late in the Calgary game, late in the Edmonton game, being able to run the football in, you know, to, to seal victories. But for a 60 minute performance against a defensive unit that was doing things, you know, at a historical pace to me, maybe the biggest statement that was made by anybody wearing blue that night was the guys up front in the trenches. Yeah. That offensive line had, I think it's best game of the year. At three down, we gave them the offensive line of the week. PFF also graded them the top offensive line of the week. And I will say that the starting five had help. Like the first time that these two teams played, the Lions absolutely decimated Winnipeg's protection. Tui Ellie did not dress for that game. He played a lot despite not being a starter. Winnipeg using a lot of six or even seven-man protection sets. Let's also remember that Josh Banks, I think a very underrated player, for the BC Lions did not play last week due to a hamstring injury. He's a classic nose tackle in that he essentially never reaches the stat sheet. I think he's got one tackle on the season. But anybody you talk to in and around the league 
loves Josh Banks, the way that he's able to blow up the middle and open things up for the rest of his defenders. So I'm interested to see, hopefully, when these teams play later on in the year, they're both at full health, that we can see Josh Banks try to open things up again for the BC Lions on defense. But to me, the game ball really this week, and and yes, I don't want to downplay the offensive line. They were spectacular. But how about Buck Pierce? Like, this offense got embarrassed in week three. Scored six points. The defense dominated. Ryan Phillips has had that unit playing so good out there on the West Coast. And granted, yes, there's a ton of talent on this unit. Zach Kolaris, right now, for my money, is is on pace to win his third consecutive MOP. You've got Kenny Lawler, Dalton Schoen, two of the best deep threats of the CFL. Nick Dembski, another guy who's probably in that same conversation. But when you come out, and again, in the first six minutes of the game, put up two touchdowns of over 50 yards in length, yes, execution matters, but that doesn't happen without fantastic scouting and film study. And obviously, Buck Pierce saw something on film and went, okay, if we can get the protection here and there and we can run this route and isolate this player, we are going to be able to inflict some pain on the opposition early they did just that and the lions let's be honest they never recovered from those two early punches in the mouth it was like it was like a heavyweight title fight everyone was expecting a close one and one guy landed two big punches right off the bat and the opponent just just never just never recovered that's what that game felt like to me it felt like it was over at the end of the first quarter and obviously once dane evans left the game and i think was largely held out for precautionary reasons in the second half it was clear that Dom Davis, with all due respect to him, was just never going to be able to bring back the BC Lions and uh, the Bombers coasted to the win. Yeah, uh, you know, going into Edmonton tomorrow is obviously massive favors against a team that hasn't won at home in years, literally. Um, but <laughs> so it's sad, but it's I, true. It, I, you know what? Hey, this is listen. They did a lot of winning it's in true. the past. We'll enjoy it, and it couldn't happen to a better guy in Chris Jones. Um, but of course, Kenny Lawler's going up against his old team. Uh, what have you seen like the difference that Kenny Lawler makes to the offense, not only as a consistent, reliable target for Zach, but the amount of space that he gets for some of the other guys in the, uh, in the bomber offense. Well, he's just built different right now. Like for my money, it's a very short sample size, of course, but he is, he's the, he's the best receiver in the CFL. Uh, He's currently ranked 26th league-wide in receiving, which is wild because he's played two games. Everybody else ahead of him has played five or more. I was looking at some of the names that he's ahead of right now. He's ahead of Nate Bahar in Ottawa. He's ahead of Curly Gittins Jr. in Toronto. He's ahead of Mark and Michelle in Calgary. Michelle's played five games since coming back from the NFL. Lawler's ahead of them all. And he's obviously going to climb up further up that list, I would assume, tomorrow um, he made a prediction when he came back, even though he missed the first six games of the season, he said he was going to hit 2000 yards, or at least that was his goal is to hit 2000 yards for the record. There have been a grand total of three 2000 yard seasons ever in the history of the CFL. No Winnipeg blue bombers ever done it. Milt Stiegel still has the single season record, I believe from his MOP season in 2002, it's something like 1850 yards and change. Uh, so close to 2,000, but but not there. I kind of scoffed, to be perfectly honest, when Kenny Lawler said that. And then he went out there and he put up 200 yards in his home debut, which is which is wild. Now, is he going to hit 2,000? I, I would still suggest no, but he's clearly meaning business. And I talked to him in the locker room after the game. Because let's, let's not forget, in 2021, he also had a 200-yard game against the Lions 
in Vancouver. And I said, what is it that you like about playing the Lions? And he essentially didn't answer the question. He just said, look, I'm here to do work. I'm here to show that I'm the best receiver in the CFL. doesn't matter who we're playing. And so my guess is he's going to keep that same attitude heading into this week. But does it mean something extra for him to play the Elks? I think it does. I don't think he had a great experience there last year. That's my speculation just based on the fact that he chose not to resign there. And um, I know that he moved his family to Edmonton full-time. The Bombers, for instance, played in the, there in the preseason. Kenny Lawler's not only had his family at that game at Commonwealth Stadium, they also invited his son's classmates. They had the whole class there watching watching Kenny play. Um, so I don't know if that's going to continue on. Obviously, the family since moved to Winnipeg. School year hasn't started yet, but he still has some ties to Edmonton. And I mean, heck, he put on a show in Winnipeg. I'm guessing he's going to do everything that he can to put on a show again this time at the, well, it used to be called the City of Champions. I don't know what we call it now, but that that's that name doesn't fit anymore. Um, what do you, <laughs> I, I got, I just got thinking about Gino Lewis, who took the money and went to Edmonton. Well, and I know that he's iffy for this game tomorrow. He's nicked up, but um, can he's you not imagine... Can you imagine having those guys <laughs> mic'd up for the little conversation before the game? So, man, how's it going? Uh, like, I, Gino, listen, the checks are clearing, but holy smokes, did he find himself walking into as miserable a situation we've seen in pro football in a long, long time. Yeah, and, and I'll say this. Like, a lot of analytics people, like my colleague J.C. Abbott, and I go back on and forth on this all the time, you know, there's a lot of talk in like the football analytics world that running backs don't matter. Like it doesn't matter if you really run the ball. It doesn't really matter who you have back there. The only thing that matters is the passing game. And so therefore you should invest in obviously a great quarterback and then great receivers. And anybody who argues that running backs don't matter, I'm going to point to the 2023 Edmonton Elks and say that receivers don't matter because evidently you can have the best receiving core in the CFL, which they might. You know, Geno Lewis has been out, but they've still got Dylan Mitchell, who's a great deep threat. They've got, I mean, Manny Arsenault is obviously past his prime, but he's a solid, you know, underneath second down type possession slot. They've got, uh, you know, they've got Stephen Dunbar, who was a 1,000-yard receiver in the league last year. they got Kyron Moore, who's a deep threat, who could take the top off a of defense. Like, they got all the weapons in the world. And their passing game has been terrible this year, objectively terrible. Now, they have made a quarterback change. Uh, Trey Ford, the Canadian, will be getting his first start of the season, which I think is exciting. Do I think he's going to go out there and put up 300 yards passing? No. I think if he's going to get a win, it's going to look a lot like Dustin Crum's win looked when he took on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers earlier this season. I think it's going to have to be like 150 yards passing and over 100 yards rushing. Trey Ford is the fastest quarterback in the CFL, ran a 4-4 coming out of the University of Waterloo. Winnipeg has struggled with running quarterbacks in the past. But to answer your question, Huss, no, Eugene Lewis, first off, is not playing this week. He is completing his six-game stint on injured reserve, will likely be back next week from what I understand. But clearly, yeah, if you could if you could strap the guy to a polygraph and said, do you regret leaving Montreal? My guess is the answer would be a, a resound yes. Uh, you know, Cody Fajardo, for, for all that he struggled last year, has been doing some nice things there. What they really lack is just depth in that receiving core. Austin Mack has been a revelation. Tyson Philpott's coming back from injury. But, you know, Greg Ellingson's been hurt. If Eugene Lewis was there, Granted, the injury has obviously affected a lot of what he's done at Edmonton, but if he was in Montreal right now, that team would be all the better, and his production, I'm sure, would be a lot better than it has been.
Speaking of uh, the Alouettes, they've got the Riders this week. Riders coming off a big win. Mason Fine finally getting in the win column. Um, what do you expect from that game? I mean, is this going to be a very motivated and vengeful Montreal quarterback and coach going up against the Riders? Or uh, how do you see that one playing out? And uh, are you maybe a little more high on the Riders after finally getting a win after some struggles since Trevor Harris has been out? The Riders have impressed me uh, a little bit, at least in the last couple of weeks. The score looked really ugly. I was in Halifax for that game for touchdown Atlantic. Score looked really ugly against Toronto. But on the field, I mean, the defense was spectacular. They had a punt return touchdown, which they got to clean up on special teams. But ultimately, as long as Mason Fine can protect the ball, which, by the way, he did this past week, one touchdown, no picks, I think that team can can string some wins together. I don't think they can really hang with the top tier of the CFL, which to me is very clearly BC, Winnipeg, and Toronto. But against a team like Montreal that I would call a second-tier team, I could see Saskatchewan pulling the upset. That being said, the challenge here is Saskatchewan's on a really short week. Like They played on Sunday. They're now playing Friday night. And they're having to do it flying halfway across the country. That is a challenge for any team. I don't care who you are. On the flip side, the thing I'm concerned about is that Cody Fajardo is not going to play on Friday. Cody Fajardo hurt his non-throwing shoulder last week. He did not practice yesterday. He was a limited participant today. And though I'm sure he desperately wants to play against his old team, first of all, we haven't had a chance to speak to him. He's not been not been offered to the media so far in Montreal. But... You know, to me, this is, I mean, first, this is his only shot. This is the other thing. Since the CFL went away from a schedule that saw every team play against every other team in every building, we don't get that anymore. And he's not going to Regina this year. It's one of the brutal things about the schedule. Just like Bolivar Mitchell is not going to Calgary this season. Another brutal element of the schedule. So I'm hoping that he's going to play because obviously in the media, we're always cheering for storylines. And Cody Fajardo facing his former team is a great storyline. Personally, I am taking the Alouettes to win this game and cover that four-and-a-half-point spread, but only if Fajardo is under center. If he's not under center, even with the travel, even with the short week, I'm tempted to, to pick the Riders on the road just because I do not have a lot of faith in Caleb Evans as Montreal's backup. Hey, uh, Johnny, just before we go, uh, how big of a win was that for Calgary? Doing it against the Toronto Argonauts, an undefeated team, but most importantly, just getting a win after some really tough losses and staying at least in the mix for that third spot in the West. Oh, it's a massive win. I mean, Calgary's next three games, even after this win over Toronto, they're at BC this week. They host Winnipeg in week 11 and then they are going to toronto in week 12 that's a murderer's row they just beat toronto so that was a month-long stretch where they're playing the top three teams in the cfl to me they had to get at least one optimally they get two i don't think they can get more than two of those four but they've got one now they need to get their second one doesn't necessarily have to be this week in BC. I don't see any way that the, the Stamps are catching the Lions this season in the standings anyway. But if they can come out of this month of really tough scheduling with a 2-2 two and two record, to me, that's a, a victory for that team. Right now, all they really have to do is keep pace with the Riders. So far, they have both teams. Uh, pardon me, the Stamps, I guess, one game behind. Stamps, Stamps three and four, Riders four and four. I don't have that in front of me, but I believe that's correct. Um, so if the Stamps can get the upset this week, that'd be great. But you're right, a huge win. Had they had they slipped to two and six, I mean, that would have been 
truly miserable. We've seen coaching changes in Hamilton. We've seen coaching changes at Edmonton. I think it's premature to say that two and six gets you a coaching change in Calgary, but it's something that you would certainly think would have entered the conversation or entered consideration. That team has a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, they've been a bit shaky. Obviously, Kadeem Carey's been out, but he should be back soon, which one would th- one would think will help that offense at least be a little bit more balanced, take a little bit of pressure off Jake Mir. So, yes, huge win. Now they've got to build on it. Uh, just quickly, how ugly is this one going to get tomorrow night, do you think? <laughs> well, I do think that the coaching change is going to give the Elks a bit of a bump, and I also do think that Trey Ford getting the start is going to add a dimension to Edmonton's offense that previously was gone. That being said, you know, it's not like Edmonton's offense is like a dry wooded area that just needs a spark to catch fire. To me, they're like a moss covered rock in the highlands of Scotland. That's just been rained on. Like one spark is not enough to get it going. So I'll take Winnipeg. I'll I'll say by 17 points. I don't think it's going to be close. I think the bombers mostly roll in this one folks uh, so much great canadian football league content over at three downnation.com make sure to go check it out throughout the week uh, john hodge thanks for doing this enjoy uh week 10 in the cfl my pleasure Huss. anytime thanks for uh, thanks for coming on there is john hodge you can follow him on twitter at john d hodge and check out all of his work along with dunk and the gang at three down nation um we've got another guest coming up and then we will get to some picks for the track big winner last night by one of us we'll let you know who that was a little later on uh but before that do want to thank our friends at breezy bend golf and country club fedex playoffs get going tomorrow we're actually going to do a lock shop golf episode a little later on today so keep your eyes on for that you can always subscribe to the lock shop at lock shop bets um all of our golf reports on the program brought to you by breezy bend looking forward to that manitoba open coming up as well if you're thinking about a uh, great long-term home for you and your family on the golf course, check out Breezy Bend. Um, brand new, two new greens just opened. The course has never looked better. Um, so much there waiting for you. Talk to our pal Corey Johnson at the golf course about getting on that 2024 waiting list or find out more information online at breezybend.ca. Um Oh, we're going to start. I guess we've got to think about a new uh, uh, date for our uh, third edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Sports Trivia down at Little Brown Jug. Not that we need another reason to go down and enjoy Winnipeg's favorite local beers in an amazing atmosphere. But uh, working on that, we'll hopefully have some information for you in the next week or so as to when that is going to happen. Uh, but in the meantime... Uh, liquor stores may be closed at times. A little brown jug isn't. And you can get all Winnipeg's favorite local beer in person at the brewery and taproom on William Avenue or wherever sells great beer. You can also find out more and order online. Local delivery available at littlebrownjug.ca. Uh, once again, a big thanks to Pitt, Julie, and the great gang at Aikens Lake. Had just an unbelievable weekend and uh, looking forward to doing it again next year. If you're looking for a world-class fly-in fishing option in Manitoba where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg, Aikens is the place, and as great as the world-class fishing is, the world-class hospitality is even better. Find out more online at AikensLake.com or hit our pal Pitt Turret up on Twitter if you've got any questions at AikensLake. And don't forget, folks, huge weekend coming up for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Popped by the game yesterday, and at the game was well, it was like the Jays game. 
um, a blur done in just over two hours. Um, but there's some there's a big party happening uh, at the ballpark on the weekend. Friday, I'll be taking part in the Reggie Abercrombie Jersey Retirement Number Retirement Luncheon. And then in the evening, it's the big game celebrating the uh, all-time home run king of the American Association. And then don't forget Saturday, maybe the most popular game of the entire season, the Bark at the Park. Bring out the doggos, folks. Get tickets and find out more information on everything going on this weekend at goldeyes.com. All right, speaking of going on this weekend, Sunday, the National Bank Challenger tennis event returns to Winnipeg in a new home. The new tennis Manitoba hub out in West St. Paul is going to be the host for it. And Alexi Galarno, young Canadian, had a uh, breakthrough performance last year at this tournament, making it all the way to the finals. He's since won a Challenger event, and he is back to uh, try and make it another run and win one more game than he did last year. Should be a great field, but uh, we caught up with Alexi a little earlier today uh, to talk about coming back to Winnipeg and uh, what tennis fans have to look forward to next week in West St. Paul. Alexi, thanks for doing this. It's a great to have you on the program. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, awesome. It's a big few weeks for Canadian tennis. Of course, uh, you're there in Toronto with the big Rogers Cup event, and then uh, coming here to the peg again. Uh, looking forward to uh, teeing it up again uh, back here in the middle of the country? Of course. I always look up to this week. Uh, I really love Winnipeg. A lot of special moments for me here. So, yeah, really looking forward to it. I'm always well welcomed. So, excited for next week. Yeah, I guess uh, you've had great success here in the past, and I imagine that... Uh, you know, Always nice coming to a familiar place where uh, you've done well and uh, hope to continue pushing forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're spicing it up this uh, this week with a new facility as well. So, you know, it'll feel a little different than normal. So I'm excited for that as well. Yeah, you mentioned the new facility, and uh, we'll talk more about that as we get closer to the weekend. But the brand-new Tennis Manitoba Hub in West St. Paul is going to host this event. and. Uh, everyone that has seen it has been raving about it. I think it's going to be a great addition just to the tennis scene here in Manitoba, but also, um, you know, with the chance to host high-level events like this. Fill us in on the last year for you. You've had some pretty exciting first now that you've finished um, your uh, NCAA career and uh, playing more as a pro. How's everything been since you've been last in Winnipeg? Things have been well. Uh, obviously, ups and downs like any tennis careers. Uh, had a Tough start to the season, but I was able to turn it around. And a big thanks also to playing here in Canada. Uh, the crowd, the energy, we can really feel it. And, and know, it helps us, you know, boost our playing and our performances. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this uh, second half of the year. I think I got good things ahead of me. Uh, I've got to ask you, I mean, uh, you know, tennis is such an individual game, but much like golf, we see how excited everyone is about the Ryder Cup. We know Canada's had this great success with the Davis Cup. I mean, what has being involved with Canada's Davis Cup program meant for you at this early stage in your career? Yeah, it's meant everything to me. Uh, I love representing Canada any chances I can. You know, uh, this country has done so much for me, and I really feel all the support that everyone's giving us. But, uh yeah, it's an honor for me. Uh, I was lucky, and the timing was unbelievable for me to be uh, a part of this historic team on my first year of playing Davis Cup, so can't complain. Yeah, uh, the bar's been raised pretty high, but, I mean, for for tennis in Canada, as someone that's been a fan for a long time, I mean, you know, a decade or two ago, this 
We were just hoping to maybe get in the tournament, never mind win the thing. I mean, what do you think that does for Canadian tennis, but also you as a young player to be part of a historic squad? Yeah, um, I think it started about 15, 20 years ago. You know, we saw, we've seen a lot of good players uh, from Canada, including Daniel Nestor, more recently, Raonic, Pospisil. All these players have paved the way for us younger generations. I remember looking up to all of them and uh, it created this sense of belief in myself and belief in the program that I was uh, training in. I was at the National Center, so, you know, I felt like I had full confidence in the environment I was training in. And we had a great generation of players, so we all pushed each other. And I think we're finally seeing the results that, you know, many, many, many years of hard work from the Federation and everyone involved in Canadian tennis. Uh, Lexi Galarno is getting ready for the uh, Challenger event on the ATP Tour here in Winnipeg, beginning on Sunday, going all through next week. Um, Alexi, you uh, had a great career south of the border as an NCAA player, I believe it was NC State. Um, mm -hmm. Tell, uh, I I'm interested about that experience, but also what the biggest differences and challenges going from being a university-level athlete to uh, grinding it out in the cutthroat world of a professional yeah. tennis. Yeah, yeah, well... You know, uh, like my mom says it very well, uh, the NCAA is like Club Med. You know, everything is provided, uh, everything is uh, is very easy going and uh, well, and on the other side, you know, the playing professionally, it's a jungle out there and you really got to grind and make your way through this, uh, this, this career. But uh, what I've learned most was about myself, about how I want to deal know adversity and uh you know failures and stuff like that how to bounce back from them how to learn from them uh, i think that's key for my uh, progression to keep progressing and keep moving on i think uh, that's helped me a ton uh you know i know you're uh, close friends with felix ojay aliasin who's very familiar to most uh, canadian tennis fans a fellow quebecer uh, you know what is he and maybe some of your other teammates from the davis cup how have they uh, maybe helped you you know, get used to uh, the grind of uh, being a pro now that you're gone from club yeah. med, as you put it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, um, I think, you know, not necessarily since I've been playing pro, but just, you know, six or seven years uh, that he's been playing pro now. So being around him, seeing the level of professionalism that he has on a daily basis uh, is a really good example for me. Um, more recently, I uh, had some struggle in the start of the season with my results, and it was very helpful to me with some of his tips and how he saw things. Um, so I'm really grateful for that relationship that we have, and uh, he's a great friend to have. Uh, Alexi, as far as the event coming up next week is, um, you know, these challenging levels, anyone that's seen it knows that, I mean, the talent on this tour and these events is um, incredible. And I mean, there's yeah. so much talent and there's such a battle to get into the main draws of these top events. How important are events like this for a younger player at this point in your career? And uh, what do you look forward the most to about playing in a challenger ATP? Yeah, I think every, every week is important, but uh, it's definitely an opportunity to play in front of the Canadian crowd. Uh, you'd certainly have a little home advantage which is very nice because it's not so often during the year that we have that. So, yeah, it's, it feels a little bit more important than any other week because of that. But then again, it's about how you want to approach that week 
I want to make the most of uh, of my week here in Winnipeg, stay in the present, and you know enjoy myself to the fullest because that's how I've performed my best in uh, any event. Aside from uh, the obvious winner's check, uh, which is important when you're playing a pro, you got to get paid. Um, what else is there? I mean, a, a real solid productive week for a player like you at this event, how much does that help you going through the rest of the year and continue to build on your uh, world ranking? It helps a lot. Um, you know, uh, they take 18 of your best results throughout the year. So you want to, you want to have consistent good results. So a week like next week, you know, you're hoping to get to the semis, get to the final, rack up some good points. And more than points, it's just about experiencing experiencing another Sunday final like I did last year. It was an amazing moment for me, and I really enjoyed it. So hopefully I get, I get to uh, run it back. Yeah, and I imagine, I mean, you know, the experience of making it to finals and playing in those big matches, as you mentioned, that Sunday feeling, getting up, knowing that you have a match and you're playing for a championship, I mean, that really is what it's all about, regardless of what tournament you're signing up for. Well, exactly, exactly. Uh, it helped me more recently. And last, you know, two weeks ago, I won my first challenger close to Montreal. And, you know, my first final in Winnipeg made me, you know, I learned so much about that final, how to approach those Sunday finals. Uh, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of emotion that runs through you. But you got to learn how to manage them and, I'm grateful uh, that I had the chance to do that in Winnipeg and finally get over the hump, get a first title, and you know, hopefully now I'll go for a second one. Yeah, I mean, uh, now it's time to just keep it going. I mean, make it the uh, you you make it a habit, right? Um, well, I, I will say this: I know you'll have a lot of fans that uh, became big fans last year at the event pulling for you here. Um, but for fans that haven't been out that are wondering what this event about, just give us an idea about. How good these players are that are going to be playing here in Winnipeg next week? Yeah, the level, especially this year, is incredibly high. Uh, you'll see some guys, including Jack Draper, who was top 50 about six months ago, just coming back from an injury, I believe. I mean, he's got uh, unbelievable potential, still very young. Um, I could name, you know, 10, 20 players that are very exciting to watch. So I think it's just it's worth coming to as many sessions as you can. Uh, the environment, the ambiance is very, very fun in my eyes, at least as a player. We really feel the support that all the Canadians have. And it feels like a great event. People are enjoying themselves. And you'll see guys fighting, you know, to get to the next level. So it's uh, very, a lot of passion out there. Well, and, and uh, I mean, on top of that, I think what people really do need to realize, you mentioned getting to as many sessions as possible. I mean, it's not like you have to wait till Saturday and Sunday to see great players go at it. I mean, you'd know as well as anyone. I mean, you see that draw sheet on the weekend and realize that, I mean, you could be in for, I mean, a real dogfight the very first time you step on a court with the level of talent throughout the draw. Yeah, absolutely. I remember last year, my first round, I saved two match points, uh, I think 6-4 in the third. Uh, it was very exciting matches for the fans. Not so much for me. It was just a big relief to finally get it over. But uh, like you said, you know, first round, right from the get-go, it's very tough. And you'll see a lot of highly, uh, you know, high-level tennis. 
Hey, just on that moment, I'm glad you reminded me of that because that was a big story as you made that run last year. What does it do for a player to survive a situation where you're one point away from going home early um, to actually survive that? What does that do for you in your future yeah. matches, knowing that you've been on the brink and come back from it? It does a lot. It does a lot mentally, you know, uh, knowing that you were just a point away from ending the week on a Monday and having to wait the full week for the next tournament. So I felt like I really cherished all of my other matches after that. And everything else was bonus, extra. I was just playing a little bit more freely, knowing that, you know, things is in tennis, it's little points here and there that makes a difference. So uh, don't get too ahead of yourself. Don't get too down on yourself. Just stay in the moment and fight for every point. Alexi, really looking forward to seeing you and uh, the rest of the stars of this event out next week. Folks, if you haven't already checked it out, you can get tickets. It's winnipeg.nationalbankchallenger.com. Uh, and, of course, it's at the beautiful new Tennis Manitoba Hub out in West St. Paul, which will be christened by uh, you, Alexi, and many of the other stars at this event. Uh, I know there'll be a lot of people pulling for you after what you pulled off last year, so uh, make the most of it. And here's to another big Sunday match finishing in a different way in about uh, 10 days. That's right. Thanks for having me, and hope to see you all at the event. <laughs> Appreciate it, and good luck next week. Thank you very much. All right, action gets going on Sunday with qualifiers, and then the tournament begins Monday out in West St. Paul. We'll hopefully get Mark Arnton in the next couple of days or early next week to talk a little bit more about it. I haven't seen it, but you know, I've heard great things about uh, this new venue, which um, which will be a, a great thing for, uh, for tennis here in Manitoba and obviously for this event. All right, let's get Remus in here because we've got to get to the, uh, the cool bet lines. Uh, that was a heartbreaker for the Jays last night. What a start by Kikuchi. Gives up only three hits, and yet they just could not string two hits together at the right time and ended up getting shut out by the Cleveland Guardians yesterday to tie this series at one. Yeah, that's that's a tough one uh, there for the Jays. Uh, thankfully for them, Baltimore lost as well, so uh, looking to get back at it. Again here, when's the next one? Tomorrow, I think, or are they, are they playing tonight? No, tonight against Cleveland. Okay, they're back. Gaussman on the hill tonight, so looking to get back at it. Yeah, the gauze. I'm going to have to make a pick for cool bet. And I, I mean, just the bats have been so quiet the last couple of days, you have to think that you're going to snap out of it. I think I might actually jump on the Jays minus one and a half tonight at even money. But uh, the line for the game is minus 159 for the Blue Jays, plus 140. Um, Kikuchi hit his uh, the over on strikeouts yesterday. Had the over on pitching outs. Um, Gosman earned runs over under two and a half, uh, plus one fifteen on over under minus one fifty four, uh, and a hits allowed as well. I don't see a strikeout number for Gosman, um, but again, you can go through all of these games. Uh, so that's highlighting the the uh, baseball tonight. CFL Bombers. 12-and-a-half-point favorites in Edmonton against the Elks for tomorrow's game. Friday, it's Montreal and Saskatchewan. Montreal is five-and-a-half-point favorites. I think that number indicates that the bookies think that Cody Fajardo is going to play. And the BC Lions are six-point favorites against the Calgary Stampeders. We'll, hit the, uh, we'll bang out another partner parlay 
hopefully win another one after that big win on the weekend in tomorrow's lock shop. And of course, CFL features are there later on the lock shop today. We're going to get into the FedEx St. Jude, Scotty Scheffler, the favorite at plus 675, John Rahm at 10 to one, Rory McIlroy at 11 to one. And of course we do have tennis as well as the tournament continues in tournaments continue in Toronto and Montreal, men in Toronto, women in Montreal, um, so you can check out the odds for all of those evening matches as well over at Coolbet. All right, before we're done, Remo, let's get back to the track and my incredible rally continues. Yesterday, a big winner in, what was it, race five, hitting that triactor, 86-15 in the bank, and I think I may have officially caught you. Yeah, that's uh, – give you a pat on the back there. That's pretty incredible. Big rally. Uh, I haven't had any of those big hits. I'm more of like – I'm kind of just slow and steady. Like uh, I had a $5 winner that paid 11 yesterday, so I just can't seem to hit these these big ones. I mean, I think I'm – I don't know. I think i got to revise my betting strategy. Well, let's get to it for today. And, again, i got to – I miss the Derby uh, being away, so I'm going 30 and 30 for these two days. Although I think I was only like 26 last night. But anyways, it was a nice, uh, it was a nice win. And uh, I'm starting it off in race number one, Reem. I'm just going on a win bet. This is a shorter field. Uh, but number four, Big Big Energy is the favorite at 7 to 5. Got Big Big Energy to win in a five-horse race. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, race one. I'm not on till race three. Okay. Uh, I've got a race two, an exacta box, two, six, moral outlaw, and uh, the favorite, my Noah. That is my race number two pick. Then we move over to race number three, and uh, just a toonie on number four. Looking for kicks. Uh, that's what I'm going for in race number three. What do you got? Race number three, I'm doing a triactor box, two, five, six, fine, soft, morning, wit, sweet, 16, and foridable. All right. Um, moving on to race number four, back with another two, six, exacta box. Can you hear me running and picking riffs? Great name on that. And Timothy Peter Tarasenko. The jockey, great handle um, for uh, for that. So two six exactor box for race number four. You got four? Yes, race. Oh, sorry, horse seven to win. Conti. Uh, I got four dollars on Conti to win. Sounds good. And then I've put my triactors in the final three races. Uh, let's see here for race number five. I am going with. One, three, and six, which are always the little one, Living Sky, and Tapature Way. That is my, uh, and again, $1, six ways ends up being a $6 wager. What do you got for five? I'm picking race five, Margo's Girl to win. Right on. Uh, You got anything in race six? Yeah, I got a, no, I'm on seven, not six. All right, in race six, I have a two, five, six. So we're going with Diamond Grand, Silver Creek Lady, and Stan's Starlet, um, who actually had a nice win 
last time at six furlongs. So I, I like that six horse. I don't know why it's number 10, but often those numbers change quite a bit by the time we get to, uh, uh, get to the, to the race. Uh, and, uh, what do you got for seven? I got an exact box. I'm going with, I've won on this horse before Savage love shout it to Adam Big Hill <laughs> and Kim's Texas bling one, two, any order. I usually like Kim's Texas bling, but I'm staying away from it because of the, uh, the length of this race. I'm going with a three, five, six tractor box. That's a lot of bling savage love and harlan's commission another six dollar wager so uh been hot lately get those picks in again you can always head down to the track a great time to get out there in the season but you can also bet at hpibet.com if you'd like to watch it from the comfort of your own home and obviously everything is available to watch live on the as downs you YouTube channel uh we got a game day show tomorrow remo bombers and elks looking forward to it i am pumped i'm pumped i can't wait to see uh what happens there on the field nice game day show cfl week 10 kicking off gotta get my fantasy uh lineup straightened out so uh back at it tomorrow and yeah that's that's it for us here august on august 9 august 9 10 years from wade miller taking over the bombers yes also, it's uh, Leslie Wade's chat 35 years since the Gretzky trade. Yeah. It's a big midsummer that. topic. Where if were you? old enough. Where were you? I was in Florida. My grandparents' house. How did you find out? Were you on Twitter? Uh, on X? No. Yeah, those you, were, were you those on were X? Pre-X days. Uh, I found out about it afterwards and then watched ESPN and just couldn't freaking believe it. And I mean, as someone that had been haunted by Wayne Gretzky for pretty much my entire childhood, I mean, I was so fired up. I thought this was the greatest thing. Wait a second. He's traded. He's not on the Oilers anymore. He's gone to the Kings. <laughs> Let's go. Thought it was great. Although, well, again, we don't need to get into 1990, but I thought 1990 was our year and we were up 3-1. And of course, we know how that ended up. But uh, yeah, very interesting day in the middle of the summer. Very historic hockey date, and uh, you know, for Winnipeg football fans, very important date in the turnaround of the franchise. Uh, tomorrow, Rewicki will jump on, uh, maybe a little Darren bombing, Andrew Collier coming up, and of course, I, I need to find out more about this Carlson trade from the Pittsburgh side of things. Murata Tesh mentioned Josh Yowie and the great job that he's been doing. We're going to get uh, him on the program tomorrow to talk a little bit more. One of the biggest deals of the offseason in the National Hockey League. So we'll get to all of that. Get you ready for kickoff. Coming up at 8 p.m. tomorrow night, I believe, from Commonwealth. And uh, anything else that might emerge before tomorrow's 1 p.m. start. Folks, hit that red subscribe button if you haven't already. Shout out to everyone listening on the podcast. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk, how they can join us and subscribe. Thanks to all of our sponsors, and thanks to you for making us a part of your day. Enjoy a beautiful Wednesday in the peg, and we'll see you tomorrow on a game day edition before Bombers and Elks here on WST. Oh, my God! Oh! Shut it down! Let's go home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.